I just want to start out by saying, um, what's our combined yearly uh, experience thinking of skating and talking about it with friends and stuff? Because I'm, I'm about maybe, I'm just past 20 years now, I think, or close to it. Is, is yours about the same? Yeah. About 20 years? So four... Yeah. I mean, I didn't. I don't. I don't suppose I've really crossed the twenty-year threshold. Um, you know, being really strict about it. But uh, <laughs> I've been skating on ramps since nineteen ninety-three. But I didn't really self-identify until about ninety-four, ninety-five. Oh, that's a good point, actually. Uh, self-identified just as where rollerblader meant more than just uh, think like an activity, just a simple activity. Well, yeah, I mean, when I when I first started, um, I was playing hockey. I'd been playing hockey, and then I'd been playing roller hockey. And there were some guys on my team who were going to what used to be called Jeff Phillips Skate Park in, outside of Dallas. Maybe it's in Dallas. Um, and then it later became Rapid Revolutions. But uh, back then, uh, what did we call it? We called what you and I would call rollerblading or aggressive skating or whatever. We called that freestyle. Um, and I remember actually saying to a, to a guy in my hockey team, like, oh, no, man, I'm never going to go freestyle, as if it was this big transition. <laughs> and then I actually, then I moved to Austin, and um, I, you know, didn't have a hockey team that was good, and uh, talked my dad into uh, giving me money instead of, because he was paying for me to play hockey, and instead of playing hockey one year, I just decided, you know what, I'm done. Um, I want to build a ramp, so I built a half pipe in my backyard, and I had to do a proposal. My dad's a civil engineer, um, and so I had to do a proposal and everything. And then he gave me the wood. He gave me the money to buy the wood, and um, I built a little half pipe in my backyard. And you did so end up that, going freestyle. Yeah, I did. Yeah. So at that point, that was probably like '94 or so. And uh, that's that's a good thing because starting out on ramps. I remember in the Latimer. Uh, video the fact that his parents built him a ramp that and it was it had weird dimensions on it that's oh such God, a good have you seen that thing yeah it oh dude it's like three feet high and has vert <laughs> and that's I, I when you watch that you realize why he was able to figure out so many other transitions because he learned on the weirdest thing i mean maybe there's a lot of kids with crappy quarter pipes in their driveway that weren't halfway as good as dustin latimer was that's true that's a really good point. Um, There's a lot of crappy quarter pipes out there. There, are, oh, and con like uh, concrete one. There's a lot of crappy skate parks out there, which I I love skating those things because, um, not so much crappy quarter pipes though, because you almost have to spend a lot of time figuring out the goddamn thing. So you yeah. have uh, transition is in your freestyle backbone. Absolutely, yeah. Um, yeah, I actually. When I was when I was skating a lot, it was um, I'm I, I skate like rails and park, and that's it. Like ledges were never my thing. There rails, rails and coping and skate park was my was my steez. And for like a um, a more instantaneously enjoyable experience of skating, that's a good way to go. Although uh, rails, like I'm not sure if we talked about this, but if you haven't skated in even a couple weeks, sometimes that first jump on. Do you still get that, or, or do you have it? Uh, do you have it kind of built in? Like, could you jump on a rail? If I snap my fingers and you were just approaching a rail, would you still hit one pretty smoothly because you've done it so much? 
I mean, if it were like solar torque soul, yeah. You got that. I could, probably, I could probably torque soul a rail or solar rail at any point, but um, I don't know. Harder tricks, I, I wouldn't necessarily be able to do first try, but you know, I could still, I could still skate a handrail. It just doesn't happen there very often. I fucking love torque soles. Torque soles are great. And uh, I haven't seen, you know, any of the the uh, the trick fashionistas. I haven't seen any torque soles. Maybe some soya. No, no, I haven't seen. I haven't seen any torque soles. Well, I, don't, I don't. I don't know what you mean by that. Uh, just let's say, like at the blading cup. Uh huh. Like in the edits or something. Uh, I didn't see any torque soles. Huh. That's an interesting point. Um, I could be wrong though, but I just remember off the top of my head. Um, like imagine that the thing that Brosco did. I loved, you know, that he does soul wall ride alley oop soul and stuff like that. It would have been so cool to see like torque soul. Uh-huh. Wall ride soyel, but um, yeah, those aren't in the. They're not. That's actually, if you if you ask me, that's that's <clears throat> that's partially a, a mediation question too, because um, there could have been a number of torque soles that were done but weren't put into the edit. Yeah, that's right. That's the editor gets to play god pretty much. It, yeah, in a manner of speaking, yeah. There's oh. a lot of stuff about editing that needs to be talked about somewhere at some point. The technical stuff, which I think gets discussed quite a bit. I would love to do almost the whole podcast on that that topic. But well, um, I'm I'm writing a second place about it, so you should wait until I do that, and then we can do a whole podcast on it after that. Perfect. And I didn't mean to say uh, the play God thing to go into our first topic, but this podcast is going to be a doozy just based on <clears throat> the things that you had written down in topics and the things that we've wanted to go through. There's like the opener one alone that we want to talk about, because um, I think it's the most in- important one, uh, could take up a lot of time. But um, yeah, the uh, the the podcast that I recorded with Todd, not the last the last podcast with Todd, um, we talked about um, a Mark Marin joke, and it wasn't even a joke. Because have you seen that special? No. Um, it's more of like a conversational style where he's just kind of like working out stuff on stage, but he's really comfortable talking. Yeah. And uh, it was on the podcast we were talking about how um, atheists can be very angry. And uh, what was the joke? It was a joke like someone's walking down the street. I won't even be able to do it properly, but saying they have Jesus in their heart or whatever. And that sometimes there's like a, a cultural stereotype of an atheist being angry and just wanting to squash people yeah. feeling good. You know, that was kind of like the, the theme of the joke. And we were just discussing that um, atheists can be stereotypically angry. And then that's what sparked the idea to talk about that. Right. Yeah. Pretty much. Yeah. Um, so well, fuck, I don't even know where to start. Well, I'll, 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 I'll start because um, I would I would slightly amend that and say that what was uh, what was what was well I, I mean I, I definitely don't want to play into the stereotype and appear hostile or anything but what was striking to me was um, was was Todd uh, the way he was talking um, he was talking about is he married or is 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 his wife or girlfriend yeah he's married he's married okay so his his wife had gone downstairs to talk to uh, some some like Christians who were like 
doing pamphlets door to door or something like that. And oh she, yeah. She told them that she was atheist as a means to like get them away and get them to not come back. Yeah. And his reaction was, "Wow, you don't really identify that way, do you?" Um, and and I, I I actually the first time I listened to it. Um, I, I took it as him being really hostile towards atheism, as if he were uh, a devoutly religious person. And then <laughs> I, I, I listened to it again, um, and and it seems to me that his perspective, more likely, is is what I would say is largely dismissive of of certain knowledge. That you know, to to take the leap of faith uh, to to believe in something. Or to take the leap of faith to categorically say that there is no God, um, I think in his mind um, is is what the problem is, and so I think that uh, he was dismissive of atheism for that reason, that it's as fallible a belief as theism is. Yeah. Is that, um, yeah, definitely. Okay. Yeah, I, I mean, I can't speak for him completely, but that was a pretty good breakdown of it. Okay. Um, and. So, could you even expl explain that in rollerblading terms? <laughs> that exact, like, uh, oh no, probably not. That would be difficult. This is such a big one, but I do agree with you on that. Um, well, it, it, I mean, I, I the <clears throat> I don't know if you read it or not, but the the post that I wrote, I think it was the first post of <clears throat> of the second season of Second Place, was about grabbing. Uh, and I used the backslide as an example, and I went through modernism and postmodernism and what's called metamodernism. And yeah, modernism is is kind of kind of new. Um, and usually in in kind of uh, philosophic or academic, um, uh, you know, theories and trends. Usually, when you get to the meta stage, you you're pretty well at the end of the line, and you know whatever is going to come next is probably about to come next because everything pretty much falls apart when you get into the kind of meta stages towards the end because you're you're understanding that there's something good in the original thing there's good critique that's in the post version of the thing and you're having to navigate between them and if you're navigating between them you can bet that whatever it is is about to be over so if it's modernism uh... into postmodernism and now metamodernism or uh, just about any other thing, you know, the Victorian era, the post-Victorian era, the meta-Victorian era, uh, which has been ret retroactively applied. Um, but usually, just as a rule, if you're dealing with meta, um, you're you're at the end of the line. Just to just to answer your question real quickly, uh, the way that the way that I explained those in terms of rollerblading uh, was to say that. When you call a no grab, when you do a backslide, you're thoroughly in the territory of the meta modern, and I, I think it's a good post. If anybody hasn't read it, they should because I'm I'm probably more pleased with that post than I have been with a lot of other ones. It's incredibly the, it's, deep, it, huh? It's very. It goes very deep. Like you almost need to have a, a like a stiff drink after that and take a walk <laughs> outside. <laughs> and. Well, it, I, and I appreciate that. What, and uh, from what if I, I gathered... If I can write words down and, and have people want to drink, then I call that a win. <laughs> uh, from what I gathered, too, I assumed that 
the idea that I had for mushroom blading, and I'm sure Todd was uh, postmodern, but that could just be me after reading that article. I don't know. Well, in in terms of skating, I think that you get you get one group of people who tends to think that there are rules and there are definite ways. There's a definite right and wrong um, out there somehow, somewhere, some way. Um, and then you get you get a, a second wave of, of guys, and those would be the people that that first group you know thinks that you have to grab a backslide for it to count, say. And then you get a second group of people who I sort of uh, liken to uh, the postmodernists who just say, "No, your rules are stupid, and 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 fuck all that. We don't need any rules, and we're going to do it however we want." And and they do a, a non-grabbed backslide, call it a backslide, and that's it. The rules of grabbing or not grabbing are 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 you know, fallible and dumb and stupid and whatever. So those are just thrown out. So then that's when you get the ungrabbed backslide, called a backslide. And then when you get into the sort of the stage that we're at now, at least in, in, in Austin, where we're, you know, playing games of skate or telling each other to do tricks at the skate park or whatever, <clears throat> we actually navigate between the two and actually specify an ungrabbed backslide is the trick, or an ungrabbed true macchio is the trick. So you, we're, we're in this place now where you actually have to uh, uh, identify your intention not to do something, which is, which is evidence of, of the fact that we're, we're in between, uh, we're navigating in between these stages of sort of uh, rule-based skating and throwing out the rule-based skating. Um, but knowing that you're in between those two in order to go beyond them, you have to act between them, and that's that's sort of what meta, meta means. It's a, it's a, it's a really neat um, preposition in Greek uh, that means both uh, between and beyond at the same time. And it's uh, it's why I don't smoke pot too. All right, <laughs> <laughs> where, where I try not to do it as much anymore, because things get meta very quickly it does that's true that's very true <clears throat> is, is is um is pot legal in canada um it's it's pretty close um it, it's decriminalized it's decriminalized and the <clears throat> medicinal thing it almost went it almost uh the doors were almost blown wide open when uh it was going to be like a free market for medical growers where instead of having you know, three or four in Regina or something like that. Um, mm -hmm. There was going to be hundreds of licenses given out, and then the price was going to go way down. It was going to be easier to get a card, but something happened with that, and I don't follow my politics enough to uh, okay. to say. But um, I, I know it's it's very readily available, um, yeah. and even just the street that I grew up on. And the street that I'm currently on, um, both have houses that I'm pretty sure seem to be grow-ups within like one or two houses down. So they say one in ten houses is grow-up. I don't know if that's true or not, but it seems that way. Um, yeah. So I don't know. that It's close, but not yet. And I would, I would think I would smoke it more if it was technically full-on legal and you could go to a cafe and stuff. But um, yeah. Yeah. So, but I, I had... I also had a nice stretch in my 20s that kind of formed a way of thinking, so I don't really need to use it anymore. And I had teachers that were convinced uh, <clears throat> I smoked a lot of weed in high school, uh -huh. even though I didn't. So 
Oh yeah, I don't, I don't either. But having a surname Stoner is, um, you know, people want to people want to point that out all the time. Like I've never heard it before. I haven't. I never have. Me personally, what? I never have. I've never pointed it out. I didn't oh. do the stupid joke. Well, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. <laughs> it's almost always it's almost always the the clerk at the liquor store. <laughs> oh, cause you get ID'd. Uh, yeah, occasionally. I mean, that's that's where I would get ID'd. Yeah. The guy, the TSA guy at the airport, hasn't ever said anything. <laughs> yeah, that one would be. At- although, although no, actually, I take that back. Uh, we actually, me and my friend, were detained one time because <clears throat> we happened to both be flying from uh, Dallas Fort Worth Airport to uh, wherever we were connecting to, and then to Woodward. And he was from Louisiana. He was one of the um, Lafayette guys from back in the day. And he was really, really good. His name is Stoney Doucet. So his first name is Stoney. My last name is Stoner. We go in together. And the the gal who's who's checking us, she's like, what the, what the fuck? And we're like, come on, man. Like, you think we made this up? You think we think this is cute? That and would we were, be so elaborate if you got, like, fake identification just to make that joke. Yeah, yeah. It, yeah. I, I don't know. We were actually detained... We were able to make our flight, as I recall, but I just remember thinking, this is this is just the, the height of absurdity right here. Did Stoney uh, partake in, in smoking marijuana? He, he I, 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 I will let my silence answer that question. Okay. There we go. I'll never forget, just one, one side thing. Um, the first time my dad got mad at me watching skate videos was um, Tom Fry at the end of Hoax 3. Um, when he's on, he's on a train in Amsterdam or something. Oh, and he's huh. so blazed, and he's talking about uh, he doesn't know where he's going or something. And mm-hmm. my dad, his eyes glazed over, and he's like, "These are the people that you looked up, that you look up to." And uh, <laughs> he wasn't mad about other things in videos, but that one did it. Yeah. So that's where I felt bad. I almost had to like hide skate videos from my my parents just in case any of that stuff happened. Anyways, so back to Meta, postmodern. Well, that that was that was that was a that was a question you were asking in the middle of, um, uh, we were I mean we're on the topic of of atheism and blading. Yeah. Did you what? Where were you headed with that? You asked me to explain that in rollerblading terms. So well, oh, and, oh. I, and actually now I've now that I've said that, um, that's that's right where we were. Um, Todd's perspective, uh, and and you know I'm only reacting you know to. Uh, to do what I heard in the podcast, but like I said, he seems to be largely dismissive of this idea that there is certain knowledge, um, or definite knowledge, or definitive knowledge out there, or or available, um, and and so that that in a way, uh, I mean, I, I guess I would take his view as as, as being agnostic, um, which. I suppose I would be inclined if if you got to try to shoehorn it into the the, the sort of trichotomy or whatever, um, where we have theism, agnosticism, and then atheism. Uh, his view seems like it would be in the middle, and so that's what would make me want to say that it's meta. It's a meta position, but <clears throat> I don't think that those those two sets of terms necessarily uh, overlap in a in a perfect way, so that you could draw that draw that mapping perfectly. Um. Because I can, I could consider myself that same spot possibly. And is that I've heard the term uh, cowardly 
atheism or ca- coward atheism is the middle yep. spot as well. What would that mean? Um, that you know you could very easily say you don't uh, believe anything, but just in case you're kind of oh, staying in the middle. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> or, yeah, or kind of politically correct. I don't know. I mean, <clears throat> um, I mean, that's, that's a very charged way of, way of putting it to be sure. Yeah. Um, I mean, you, you, you could, you could be a lot more polite and say something like a middling atheist or, or, a, or, a you know, an uncertain atheist or something without, without having to rely on, on cowardly as if, you know, you're, you're weak or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. But who knows? I mean, you know, I, 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 it's, it's, it's really hard. It's, it's really hard to, uh, I mean, l- labels, labels and, and categories are things that we, we kind of have to do, um, inherently. I mean, it's, it's part of the success of our, of our brains and our language to categorize. Um, but you know, to, to, to narrow, narrow something down as three, you know, as, as far as, you know, there's, there's only agnosticism, atheism, and theism in between, you know, that's, that's really pretty limiting. Um, yeah, it is. You know, I, it, and, and actually, you know, I, I, I would, I would self-identify as an atheist, but I would also consider myself a person who's just, who's probably, probably more hostile towards religion than, um, than, than actually certain that there isn't. Uh, something. Although I definitely don't think that there's any kind of God. I don't think there's any kind of afterlife. I don't think there's any kind of any of that stuff. Um, but where I would differ with Todd's point of view is to say that, um, you know, n- recognizing that we don't have certain knowledge uh, doesn't mean that we can't rule out things that are, you know, rude, criminal, um, and 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 monstrous, you know. From from being true, in other words, to say, you know, there's many many things about the universe that we don't know. Absolutely, I agree with that all day long. I mean, the the, you know, the smartest people we have in physics are telling us that we we understand <clears throat> maybe as much as ten or twenty percent of what's out there, and so the other eighty percent or whatever is is stuff that we can't, you know, interact with and see and measure. So, you know, who knows. But I, I can be sure that it's not uh, a man on a cloud, or or a seven-headed serpent, or you know a seven-headed hydra, or you know a uh, womanizing Greek rapist who transforms himself into fish and unicorns and things like that. Yeah, I I, I can't I can't be asked. I know that there's uh I'll have to post it in the links. There's a there's a video that Todd's been obsessed with for the longest time and I can't remember the last time I watched it it's called aggressive atheism and he's like a famous youtuber dude Um, Uh and I'll have to post that and I think there's something in that that he connects with see I can't speak for him because he's not on here but um, there is something in that video that he really connects with so I'm not sure Um, uh, I know like I can't it's so hard to speak for him right now on such a touchy topic but i'm probably close to the same place that he is but i um like i said my religion could be the movie et well i'll get into that though yeah well Um, but 
Okay, go ahead, because I have one question. Well, well, what I was, what I was, um, what I was going to say is that um, rather than rather than spending any time on a rollerblading podcast talking about my my particular beliefs, uh, you know, my my points of view can be surmised from uh, a number of people, people like uh, Carl Sagan, who I can talk about at some point later which will probably actually come up again later on in this in this podcast um, because I think that he's kind of a borderline positivist which I can come back to but Carl Sagan and um, you know Christopher Hitchens and a number of people like that have done really great things to to explain very elegantly and concisely um, you know what what the main issues are and and what the main objections are uh, and so I don't need to really hash through my entire a theology to 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 you know in, in this kind of podcast but um let me let me let, having said that uh you should ask your question and then i'll i'll start i'll start in with what i was going to say about um blading and atheism okay and as you know my questions sometimes are a bunch of thoughts that sure. lead into a question so for me the closest thing i've ever come i'm i'm so open to uh things about discipline and and uh ritual not related to any religion but discipline and ritual and uh trying to make yourself better um that kind of stuff um and and strangely enough because i've i've struggled here and there with like where you want to believe in something and then the closest thing that's ever come to it which is funny because i hate i hate this at the same time um, not that I would think of rollerblading as, as a religion, but in terms of a practice that, uh, probably is the closest thing to all the types of stuff that religions are built on. That's yeah. the closest thing I've felt to anything that could possibly be a religion. Cause, um, people fill, you know, their whole, whatever the hell that thing's called with like shopping and, uh, in addictions, all that stuff. And, uh, rollerblading was my thing. So, that idea of like that I was in a cult, um, you know, is there anything that you've been so into that you've almost had like, almost like a religious fever a while, like whether it be music or anything where you just believe in it so much that you, it it almost becomes something um, big that you've created kind of with your imagination, if that makes any sense. Like, Um, uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I think I think that uh, the the academic disciplines are are really kind of cult like, um, and there are a lot of big divisions within a discipline, where one group uh, takes one tack towards solving the problems in their field, uh, and then and then oftentimes you have one or two or three or four other different uh, ways of solving problems even within a discipline, and a lot of the time uh, many or all of them are. Are are recognized as being legitimate. Um, sometimes you have uh, groups that are um, marginalized. Uh, I would point to, for instance, um, you know, intelligent design um, people in the sciences, where they're really pretty marginalized, and it, it's an interesting problem because, uh, you know, I I'm. So one one of one of my areas of study is is in is rhetoric and and specifically I do a, a thing called 
um, epistemic rhetoric. And epistemic rhetoric looks at science in particular and looks at the way that it's not actually a means to discovering the truth. It's a discourse community like any other. There are, there are sort of culturally mediated rules that govern what counts as true and what counts as proper within that community. Um, and that they go about <clears throat> persuading insiders and outsiders of their findings and so on and so forth. Um, uh, but it's not actually it's not actually true like with a capital T. It's just it's just uh, you know very good information um, that works really well. Uh, but that doesn't necessarily make it true. Uh, the problem there, though, is that you know if if I if I am a a, uh, a critic of science at certain times, um, you know, being a critic of science really doesn't put me in good territory because the other people who are critics of science uh, are crack, like crackpots, like, you know, think that the world is 6,000 years old or some other fairy tale. Um, and so it's, it's, it's not that it's not, it's not a simple matter of just rejecting something. Um, Cause I don't reject science. Um, but I do think that there are lots of things going on. It's, it's a human endeavor. And, 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 and I therefore think that it's never going to produce, you know, truth, so to speak. Uh, because truth, is, in my view, just isn't the kind of thing that's uh, available to human beings. So, I, I, uh, to answer your question, though, I guess I would just say that as as a um, as as a person trained in a, in, a, in a pair of different disciplines, uh, each one of those disciplines is its own kind of cult following, and you kind of have to make choices to follow certain scholars uh, and and sort of drink the Kool Aid, as they say, and. Um, you know, I, th I think that rollerblading is like that, rhetoric is like that, linguistics is like that, um, and and I personally feel like uh, I'm just the kind of person who who is is has I've I've always been really easily able to move in and out of things, so I I, I haven't ever felt the kind of compulsion to, you know, equate uh, rollerblading with with like a cult or a religion. Uh, it's very powerful and it's very overwhelming, and I think rollerblading is fantastic. Uh, I think the same thing about rhetoric. I think the same thing about uh, linguistics and and cognitive linguistics. Um, but I think I see what you're saying about rollerblading, though. I think I think you know what you're getting at is that there there isn't really any other thing that's as pervasive in your life. Um, and so, to me, it's probably it's probably just a, a lack of you know just for lack of better terms that you would equate it with a religion because to me it's rollerblading is better than a religion a religion yeah yeah it is actually it but it takes a while uh doing it to get to that point i would think yeah sure sure i mean uh you know whether whether you're religious or not i think that uh um you know people people who are uh you know have a certain bent towards one or the other I think they they become more intelligent in that area as they go along, and I think the rollerblading is the same. I think that you know if if you were to look at yourself when you were skating when you were ten years old, that's like looking at a at a you know Christian theologian when he were when he was in Sunday school, and you know by the time he's he's got twenty years under his belt, uh, he'll 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 be a better version of that, and and I think the exact same is true of a rollerblader. I have a a big confession to make that um, 
that's going to make a case for why I believed in rollerblading so much for a long time in an unhealthy way. Um, Frank, I believed in Santa Claus until grade six. I th- a lot of people do. But and- that's like, I'm talking about like, I was a, possibly a couple years later than, yeah. than a large percentage of my class. And I think my parents knew my imagination was, was so wild that, that they had to maybe wait an extra year. Like my sister already knew. She yeah. may have known for a couple of years. And uh, then the funniest part is, I've talked about this on the podcast before. My my sister and my dad had to like <laughs> sit me down kind of in my 22, 23, something like that, and have a conversation with me about rollerblading that was so similar, like in terms of my heart hurting to the Santa Claus conversation. And uh, that's always been... Um, the biggest teacher about how dangerous religion can be for Uh me, the believing in Santa Claus and the believing in rollerblading and the, and having outside people that I really trust that are, that, I mean, they weren't worried about me believing in Santa Claus, but it was a really serious thing when they told me that he wasn't real. So, you know, I kind of put that same amount of effort with my imagination into rollerblading, which was good, but bad at the same time. So yeah. Anyways, I, that I hope that relates to what we're talking about. Yeah, actually, let me. Um, can we can we take a quick break, real quick, and maybe get back in a couple minutes? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. okay. Let me. Can you give me like? Can you give me like ten minutes? Yeah, for sure. Okay, great. Thanks okay. a lot. I'll, yeah. I'll 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 call you back. Okay. Okay. We're back. Hey, sorry about that. No problem. No problem. So you were you were just saying that your 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 sister and your dad. <clears throat> had to have like a like an intervention. Yeah, separate times actually. I think there was once sitting at a Wendy's with my dad on the on the way back from a road trip, and I think once with my sister. Yeah, serious. Yeah, pretty mm-hmm. much interventions. Yeah. Okay. Well, see, that's 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 great, and this this is actually I was thinking about this when I when I was when I was away for a second there. Um, that's. That's actually that's actually exactly what what my connection is uh, to between between atheism and and rollerblading, um, is 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 a, is a kind of an intervention and and the thing the thing that I would point to the most um, is is that in 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 the West you know in the Western cultures uh, we're we're really kind of <clears throat> indoctrinated. Whether we're religious or not, whether we're Christian or Jewish or really anything else, um, the tendency over the last few thousand years has been away from polytheism and towards monotheism. And why that is particularly damaging, I think, is that it leads us to believe that there is there is a a, a singular um, uh, savior. That that's that's out there, and and the way that I'll the way that I would would connect that to to, to rollerblading is is by saying that uh, as 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 much as it is in the kind of general population that that people feel kind of uh, beset by this overwhelming urge to locate a a singular um, pairing between um, 
problem and solution so that there, there, there can be only one absolute problem and there can be only one absolute solution. Um, I, I think that that's awful and that's terrible and, and there's so many bad things I could say about it. And it's, it's, it's one of the things that, that motivates my own, my own atheism uh, is, that, is that this, this sort of uh, compulsion towards singularity is a disaster. It's absolutely a disaster. And in rollerblading, we see the same thing manifest in these conversations that go on between rollerbladers all over the place where people feel the urge to identify a single problem and a single solution to that problem uh, in order to in order to fix it or, or in order to attain salvation or, or whatever and rollerblading in particular uh, has has been uh, like I said beset by so many problems from the economics to infighting to you know people talking shit and trolling each other's blogs and message boards and all the other things you know companies failing you know the the p culture or, or the population at large either forgetting that we exist or thinking that we're we're gay or something like that um, but but really the the bigger problem to me is that is that everybody wants to locate a single solution and you know for a long time it seemed like everybody wanted Haffy to be the anointed one to save us and before that it was Arlo and um, before that it was you know you know get back in the X Games and the idea that there's a single problem that needs a single solution, I think, is part of the the sort of Western mythos and the Western monotheistic tendencies, uh, uh, you know, pushing us towards this this kind of invisible idea that there has to be one savior, and and I think that that's all wrong. I think that I I, I, get, I this is how I'll say it. I really take a a Mr. Rogers approach to to rollerblading. Do you know Mr. Rogers? Yeah, I do. Okay, I didn't know if he was if he was on on the air and in, in uh, up there. Definitely. Um, but he before before he died not too long ago, he actually made a public appearance at a place, and <clears throat> all these people were there. All these grown men and women, uh, black and white, um, all sorts of people, and you know. Uh, and he gave, he went up on stage and he gave like a, he gave like a little, a little talk. And then, and then after it was over, <clears throat> he, he asked people to come up one by one. And, and, you know, these are grown men and women who run companies and do all kinds of stuff, have, have families, so on and so forth. Uh, and they come, they come up one by one and he looks at them and he shakes their hand or gives them a hug and he says, I like you just the way you are. And that's, that's what he said Always throughout his whole show, he would tell children that you know what, I like you just the way you are. If your brothers and sisters are mean to you, that's okay because I like you. You don't need to change. You don't need to do anything differently than you're doing it now. I like you just the way you are, and I take that same attitude with rollerblading. That I like it just the way it is. I don't need the X Games. I don't need things to cost more. I don't things. I don't need things to cost less. There's lots of things that we can do to make it better. Um, but I don't feel like we need to be headed in any one direction. And, you know, a lot of people think it needs to go more towards stunts or more towards X Games or more towards this or that or the other. But they almost always only ever have one idea. And that, to me, is the poison pill, having a single notion that, that needs to be addressed. 
And and that that is what I would submit as my connection between a, a need for an atheistic thinking to cast away the, the sort of chains of of, of monotheism uh, in in favor of a of a of a diversity that that you know celebrates who we are now rather than who we were in the past or who we think we're gonna be when shit gets comes together. Um, we have to just we have to just get rid of that altogether and we have to just stop thinking that there's gonna be some one messianic solution that's gonna swoop in, whether it's in the form of Richie Eisler or Wake Shepman or Arlo Eisenberg or mushroom blading or anything that's been pointed at as being the one single savior um, because because that's that's catastrophic we've already lived through it once and if we're going to uh, gain wisdom from the the hellish shit that we've been through in the last 15 years we have to learn that anointing someone as our messiah is absolutely the wrong way to do it that's a really good point do you think that uh, that it's been kind of a curse that that it got it as big as it was, and there was lots of people uh, getting paid lots of money, and that 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 complex comes from uh, success that was given too early. Kind of is that, or, or never mind. Let me rephrase that. Do you think that there's one thing that you can track back that caused this mindset? Kind of. Well, I, I would I would point to the trend in all the other action sports that did the same thing. You know, when when skateboarding was kind of falling on hard times, they kind of anointed Tony Hawk as their kind of pretty boy uh, savior, and he's you know sort of handsome enough and blonde and tall and white and from a suburban family, and people want to look at him and just trust him. Uh, and you get that with with similar kinds of characters uh, who are really, generally speaking, pretty family friendly. You know, you get you get Matt Hoffman, who wasn't into drugs, who wasn't into heavy metal, or he wasn't a Satanist or anything like that. He's a pretty family-friendly kind of a dude. And you get uh, later, you get you know, you had Tony Hawk, and then later you get in in things like snowboarding, uh, you get Sean White, who's again pretty family-friendly. Um, and it, it's 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 that same thing I was talking about that there's this there's this this need. To, to locate a, a singular site, um, uh, a, a sort of a, a wellspring from, from which everything must flow. And I think that we tried to do that, and we had this tension between, back in the day anyway, we had this tension between Arlo and, and, um, and Chris Edwards. And Chris Edwards was kind of put up as this sort of trying to do good, trying to do right. He had a Christian ministry at one point. Um, you know, that sort of thing. And that was contrasted with Arlo, uh, who was, you know, had crazy haircuts and made satanic gestures and clearly has a very complicated relationship with religion um, all on his own from from his family's Judaism uh, and, and his, his mom uh, and, and just interacting with a predominantly Christian country. Um, but yeah, we we never really had that, and um, people tried to anoint Arlo. People tried to anoint Chris Edwards, but neither of them really fit the bill of of a Tony Hawk or a or a um, Sean White type of character. And 
And I think that the first person that we've seen in a long time that's like that has been Chris Haffey. And I think a lot of people wanted to anoint him, but I think that that's absolutely catastrophic. And and as we learned from Arlo already, the lesson learned was that, you know, when, you know, just before Barely Dead came out, we had put all of our faith in him as if he was our, our messiah, and or, albeit a kind of an anti-hero, anti-messiah. Um, but he... He he was he was no better able to stop the forces of economic collapse than 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 anybody else. So so, you know, I I would say that number one we've never we've never successfully had that kind of anointed golden boy. Um, but but I also think that if we if we had, we would be indistinguishable from all those other action sports. We would look just like them, and we would be largely indistinguishable from them. And in my view, uh, I, I don't want to be that. I don't want to be indistinguishable from BMX and skateboarding and snowboarding and anything else. We're different enough, and you know, we should be proud of the fact that we rollerblade and that we, you know, spend so much of our lives doing this and caring about it and doing it and practicing and 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 you know, everything that's involved with it. Uh, so, so I think I think that you know we want to avoid avoid that inkling altogether and not anoint anybody. I don't care if it's if it's Chris Haffey or if it's Richie Eisler or if it's or if it's you or anyone. I don't want to see it happen at all. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, going from the this this kind of relates to that whole thing. Do you think at all that Shane Coburn thought he was the guy? For a while, because it seemed like it went from uh, uh, Arlo, ASA, all that to Mind Game was was seemed pretty close to a religion for a while there. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, that's that's hard to say because you know the the success of those other guys was really catapulted by the X Games, and so the the kind of cultural momentum wasn't really there for Shane to cash in on. I think maybe if he had been, if we'd had Shane instead of Arlo, then, you know, maybe we'd be talking. But the the, the sort of climate, both cultural and economic, um, by the time Mind Game came around, like we, like the big, the big, you know, glitzy X Games stuff was already done. And... I would also point out that he wasn't trying to get in on that. You know, he wasn't. He, he who did he have on the mind game team? He had Dustin and John Elliott and uh, Shima. Shima, yeah, and and yeah, and Aaron Feinberg, and and really none of those dudes were were like family friendly for one, and and for two, he wasn't really pushing them towards, you know, family friendly stuff like the X Games. They were out in the streets dressing up in you know crazy black outfits and you know and then they and then they made the mind game video which was you know purported you know sort of purportedly you know really serious and heavy duty uh, intense stunt skating you know and, and so I I don't I couldn't I I definitely wouldn't want to speak for Shane but. Um, I would I would tend to doubt that that he fancied himself that way, or even if he had, he was he's smart enough to realize that the that the the ship had sailed, and and he didn't he wasn't on board. Um, 
In other words, Mind Game just wasn't around soon enough. Yeah, but the the cult-like following for it, I mean, the front page of of Outerline, um, which was our the, one of the main skate shops in Canada, you couldn't uh. fucking buy any products that had color, <laughs> and lots of skate videos were black and white. Uh-huh. Um, it, he was in control of kind of the trajectory of skating just through those videos. So I think maybe people like uh, like like what Adam Johnson wanted to do maybe with Vibrolux, I can't speak for him, but it seems like we look at this what, mess, messianic complex. Is that what it is? Yeah. Um, people, because people have been successful somewhat with it, people still think that it can happen, even though it's kind of like a, in the post-internet age, it's it's kind of like the, the doors are blown wide open. But um, what was I going to say? The, <laughs> Riley had a joke that, that if Shane Coburn just would have come out with the Sergeant Pepper uniform and uh-huh. uh, introduced color to rollerblading before Razors did, uh-huh. it would have been a big thing. <laughs> Sorry, that's a... That's a that's a big, big big side. Well, I, I, yeah, I, I, I would like to come. I think I've got I've got a note somewhere that that there's parts of what you just said that I think uh, belong in the in the Richie Eisler section of this conversation. Okay, yeah, sorry. I'll keep. Let's keep going on on this note. Um, but do you yeah, think? I, oh, oh, ne- never go. mind. I know where I'm going with this. Okay. So in the last podcast, does it seem like? the whole idea of even these guys in other sports is fading like Tony Hawk and Sean White the the idea of these these icons in other action sports is kind of falling away because you can put up a video on the internet and and it can be just as big as any other like the idea of a skate team and brands and all that stuff it could just be me but it seems like that stuff is kind of falling away um, and that's working in rollerblading's favor, not as becoming a sport that's ever going to be huge, but just as something that's pure. If that, I'm, I could be intensely verbose there. Sorry. Well, my, my question, my question would really be falling away for whom? Um, just the idea of like, is it falling away for, from your mom? I mean, or, or your uncle or somebody who plays baseball uh, for, uh, like that? That's, that's the first question that i would want answered is who are we talking about it falling away we're talking about like the hardcore devotees who want to collect a paycheck for doing it Uh, not hardcore devotees but like the idea of people being on a paycheck from a company to, to do this activity whereas there's people like myself and yourself that are that are making stuff and creating stuff and we don't expect anything in return from rollerblading well, I think yeah, I think that that's that's kind of been the masthead for a long time of people pointing to the '90s and saying, "How do we get back to that?" And and um, I guess my point of view would really be not not to say that it is or isn't going that way, um, or that or that the sort of uh, glitter is fading for guys like Tony Hawk or Sean White or whatever. Um, but I would, I would say, uh, I hope it is. I hope that it is because 
I don't I don't think that that's sustainable long term. I think that what's sustainable about rollerblading, as far as I can tell, is is people's love for it, and what we want to encourage is is not to 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 have this try to get back to being some cash cow activity. I think we need to not get overwhelmed thinking about the past or the future and think about right now and what's what do we want to do right now and most of the time that means going and skating and, and skating in the way that you like and the way that you like to skate with your friends and your crew and whatever else um, and if, if, if it happens it'll happen for good reason but what we want to do is is if we're if we're going in any direction like that we want to make sure that we're actually the ones who are holding the reins we don't want to be in a position where as soon as it stops being sexy again, the big companies can pull out and leave everybody high and dry, uh, and and have a full economic collapse again. I, someone pointed out an interesting thing on on the BMAG board that there was this could be the skimpiest uh, Christmas ever for uh, for lack of a better term, still like aggressive skating videos and. And products and clothing lines and all that stuff. It, it seems like. Oh, you mean in terms of like industry output, like. Yeah, many... it it seems yeah. like the skimpiest of actually of all time. I, I think USD and Jado has some stuff, but like for big videos and and everything to look forward, this has been, and clothing too. Um, there's nothing, and I that's just also how much money is floating around in general. It's not directly related to. To rollerblading, but I, I found that really interesting. That that rollerblading, I think, already died a little bit from that perspective. And there's a lot of people still convincing themselves, smaller companies and stuff, that that they can put all their eggs in one basket and make a living off of rollerblading. I'm glad that that's kind of revealing itself more now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I mean. I, I can't speak for um, I can't speak for all the different kinds of media, but um, one magazine has stuff coming out. Uh, it's not necessarily for sale, like for Christmas, but um, um, what is it? So Shadow just just came out with the Farmer Four or Five or whatever the one with the cow on it is. Yeah. Um, and the Eislers just came out. Those are brand new skates. Those are cool. Yeah. For sale everywhere, I presume. Uh, and boosted by this this uh, viral video that we'll get to in a second. Yeah. Um, Rollerblade has a new skate coming out. The Create Originals uh, rocker, or uh, uh, you know, what's it called? Frame is going to come out early next year. Suspension I mean, or CRS? Yeah, the suspension frame thing. I mean, all these things. Uh, what the level three or whatever uh, Kaiser frame just C came out? CJ skates coming out for Christmas, I think. Yes. Okay. So then you've got a Seba skate coming out. Like whoever's saying that, there's plenty of shit that's brand new for sale right now, and and in time for Christmas kind of thing. I it was I from the, the, the clothing the, the perspective. I don't think are out, and I think that Rollerblade has an all black skate coming out next year. Um, and so I don't think that either of the two of those will be available for Christmas. But um, I think I think you know there's a lot of people who who have good opinions on on BMAG, but. I would I would want to speak to a couple of different company owners and say what are they expecting? What kind of sales have they done in preparation to the shops and to A Mall and 
roller warehouse and wherever else. Uh, and that would be a much better metric to, to decide whether it's going to be a slender Christmas because uh, I would bet you that in years past there have been uh, more um, more modest Christmases, I would, I would think. It, definitely from clothing and video release, it's, it's one of the worst. And from skates, um, power slides making a strong showing. So they, they've done a really good job anyway in the past few years with their marketing and their online content. So yeah. maybe they're in a position where they're at the top now. And where the fuck is Razor's? You know, that, that, that reminds me. Well, I'll tell you what I should do. I should fill that niche myself by printing up a bunch of second-place T-shirts, and I'll just <laughs> fill that niche all on my own. So if you're, if you're listening to this coming soon, hoodies, the internet view, second-place T-shirts in stock for Christmas. Hoodies. Solve your problem right now. Uh, hoodies. We need hoodies. Hoodies. We, yeah, we need hoodies because it's cold. Yeah, but it's like injection molding, man. The buy-in's just so severe. <laughs> Oh, I love it. I feel like we haven't covered everything. Uh, do you want to talk a little bit more about the religion thing? Cause, um, or were we transitioning too easily into the next topic? I mean, I'm, I'm content to move on. I mean, I, I, I don't really need to, to beat the drum about it. And actually, when, when, I, when I got on the, on the, on the um, oh, I don't remember what it's called, on, on the mushroom blading uh, site, there's a there's a comment feature that's that's like supported from some external company, I forget what it's called. But discuss, it lets, discuss, yeah. That I think when I when I sort of launched into that thing, I was I was still I think under the impression that, uh, um, that that Todd was was sort of speaking on behalf of of a proud Christian, uh, uh, you know, ideology, and so I think that I bristled at that immediately and. Said, well, I've got to, I've got to represent the atheist here, and you know, rah rah. Um, but he didn't, he didn't seem to be that. I, I think that he, as I said in the beginning, is is largely just um, is is just um, you know tr- dismissive of there being certain knowledge, which I think is a perfectly valid point of view. He was raised uh, incredibly religious, and then was the first person i saw like closest to me who had to go to all like the uh catechism or, or sunday school or whatever it's called uh-huh. and uh they all turned out to, not that he was an extremely bad kid because he was incredibly intelligent but um all those kids went the other direction on religion so he was the first i didn't know like what uh what it would have been like to be raised super religious but yeah he definitely didn't like uh he didn't go to church as soon as he turned 18 or i don't know at what point but yeah i don't it's just that i don't think he ever identified with being atheist but he he definitely uh was raised uh super religious so yeah yeah anyways (laughs) yeah i don't know where to go after that there's someone else there uh, yeah, my buddy, uh, my buddy Jay is here. We're uh, we're filming some some sort of B roll for a, a movie that we're making. Do you think it's affecting uh, uh, your your not what would you call it? Is it affecting the room? Is it different being filmed and having um, an extra person there? Do you feel like you're cha- you're you're less relaxed or? 
I, I don't think that I am. If I'm less relaxed, it's because I'm not outside smoking cigarettes. Because you know it's really cold outside, and if 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 I if I if I sound uh, you know on edge or something, then it's it's because we're sitting inside in the warm house instead of outside where it's ninety percent humidity and thirty one degrees outside. Understandable. What's the movie? I'm sorry. What? What's What's the movie? What's the video? Or what? Are Are you allowed to speak of the project? Or is this top secret? Oh, I don't know. I, I think I think I think I shouldn't I shouldn't let the cat out of the bag. I have to build. I got to build suspense, man. This is this is this is rollerblading media we're talking about here. Is it barely dead part two, almost alive? Yes. <laughs> okay, that's all I need to know. You you nailed it, man. You nailed it. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. So. Uh, Speaking of, or we would have had a smoother transition, but no. Richie Eisler, um, did you, okay, just tell me about your experience watching it for the first time, the video, the Richie Eisler video, what you thought, how you felt. You know, I didn't, I didn't actually, I don't, I don't remember actually seeing it the first time. Um, I think it was. I think I, I, I caught it somewhere on on Facebook or wherever. Um, <clears throat> I guess a couple of days before it like went viral, you know, or whatever. <laughs> I love the way you said that. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I I think I saw it. And I thought it was cool. Um, like like I, I I started writing this into into a, a, a article that I'm working on, and. Um, I mean, I, I think that my experience is really the same as most other rollerbladers, where I get up and I go to the toilet, and then I I clean out the coffee maker, and then I make new coffee, and I have coffee, and I get my laptop, and I sit there, and I look through yesterday's edits for about a half hour, see what happened in rollerblading yesterday for you know about a half hour, and then I kind of get on with my day. You know, I think maybe some people linger longer or they go straight to work and do it at work. But, you know, I, I, I think I encountered it and it just felt pretty ordinary to me. Uh, but then after, after it sort of swept the, the internets, um, I, I sort of started paying more attention to it because, you know, I, I think I, I may have actually got it from y'all that it was on the Huffington Post in, in the Canadian Huffington Post. Yeah. And, that I just want to say that's fucking amazing that we can do that because of technology. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean it was it was on it was on a, a main Reddit page, and I think that the guys who do uh, uh, Reddit slash whatever or R slash rollerblading or whatever they they those guys run those guys run a pretty cool uh, you know forum, and um, I think they were over the moon because it was their sort of home territory of Reddit. Um. um they were the ones who pretty much that that's what launched it. Uh, oh, that that was like the origins of it spreading was those guys posting it in Reddit videos. Okay, well, good for them. And uh, it brought a lot of new people to the forum apparently too. And it and it is a good place. I just got to plug it again. I've been posting there a little bit, but um, it's a pretty awesome, growing online place. Yeah, I would I would plug it too. I think those guys are those guys are doing are doing awesome shit. And it seems like uh, it's it's an interesting development 
to have a more moderated message board. I know the BMAG has uh, moderators, but I think that they're they're pretty pretty liberal in their tolerance. Yeah, um, which is which is why that that can be addictive to check that one still. But I, I think the golden days may have passed for BMAG. What for for BMAG? Yeah. Um, maybe. I mean, I, I, I still, I was, I would still shout out to the BMAG guys because I think that, uh, you know, whether they're, uh, you know, on the uphill or on the downhill, uh, you know, there was a, there was a big span of history where, in the kind of barely dead era, sort of mid two thousands or mid aughts, where, I think that was like that was like the the ground zero, and those 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 guys were the ones, uh, you know, keeping it together while everything kind of re re. Um, sorted itself out, and so those guys really were our standard bears for a long time. And so I'd hate to see them just go by the wayside. But I don't necessarily have strong feelings one way or the other whether they're going to or not. I don't know. Hey, how if, many how many times a day do people say that's a really good point to you? Because I feel like I say that quite a few times when we're podcasting. Because that was a really good point about the BMAG board. Um. Well, I'm, I'll, let me just say I'm flattered. I don't. I don't know how many times I'm, I'm told that. I. I. I wouldn't presume. I'll say. Uh, people don't say that. I, I would think that you would make really good observations on the regular, just in in everyday conversations about things. Or am I wrong? Is it just because we're talking about rollerblading? Um. I, I man, I don't even know how to answer that. I mean, okay. 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 That's fine. No, just, we just hit on Frank. People just say, you know, just word. People Frank just say, you know, <laughs> word, you know, or whatever. <laughs> or, uh-huh. Or, yeah. Or, you know, pass the ashtray or something. Okay. <laughs> when are you going to be done so that we can go drink beer? Okay, word. 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 So, um, Huffington Post, or on Facebook you saw it. Or, no, sorry. Now we're at Huffington Post. You may have seen it because I was obsessively doing like past 24 hour Google searches, trying to f- locate where it was going. Um, and then that's yeah, where well, you saw so, it. I mean, you, you, you kind of put me on the spot here cause you just said that I make good points and now I've got a couple of points to make and I don't know if any of them are going to be good or that any of them are going to live up to the, to the expectations. But I actually, I actually made in preparation for this, a couple of, uh, a couple of, uh, of a short list, um, about, about, um, about why that particular edit, as opposed to many of the other edits, happened to be the the first one in a while to really get this kind of big attention. Um, and and I'd, I'd like to read these and and have you respond. And then if you think of any other reasons, which I'm sure you've thought of, why my biggest question about the Richie Eisler edit is why did that one go viral and not some other edit? Good, good. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Let's go. The first thing, the first thing that comes to mind is that um, <clears throat> he has a beard, right? He looks like a grown man. You don't, you don't see him and think, uh, you know, that's a sixteen-year-old. That's just what the kids are doing. You know, you think, wow, this is this is a grown man who does this and has a lot of talent. Clearly, obviously, uh, whether you respect it or not, he's clearly talented, uh, and he's a grown-ass man. Yeah. So, so that's that's the first thing that's striking. That, that that's telling of of his maturity and 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 his age, I suppose, at a minimum. 
Um, second thing that occurred to me is that um, it's it's in Canada, right? Mm-hmm. And it's and 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 he's Canadian. Am yeah. I, am I right? Okay. He is. So so I think that I think that in some ways that might be a reason for it to go viral, where it's not the Americans again, uh, you know, trying to tell you what's cool. I think that the Canadians globally uh, are 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 probably more more tolerated, I think, than Americans. So like, oh, this is a, you know, like you you imagine Canadians as being friendly, and so you know he comes across as being friendly and fun fun loving in the in the edit, um, and and I think that for a lot of people it's probably easier to encounter a rollerblader uh, who's Canadian rather than you know some some you know stuck up teenager from Southern California, you know, dressed in huge sweatpants and a, and a, uh, you know, or whatever, whatever regalia of the day, whether it's you know, Misfits t-shirts or basketball shorts that are triple XL or, or whatever, yeah. you know, he's wearing a fairly normal looking outfit, uh, and, and he's Canadian. So we, we, we kind of presume that he's friendly. Yeah. And, and I think that that, that might have played a role uh, in in that video going viral, as opposed to some other some other um, some other skaters two minute section. Yeah. Um, the third thing I would say is that the section, and I think that I talked about this either in the first podcast we did or the second. Um, I feel like it was the first, but I really can't remember. I'd have to listen to him again, um, or maybe have someone who who recalls uh, datum like that. Um, it's, it's a very low cognitive load section, you know, the, the, the first, the first trick in the, in the beginning is just the big backside. And my mother could see that and be impressed by it, you know, and, and I think she wouldn't know to be more impressed or less impressed if it were a back Nugan or a back Royale. It doesn't need to be. It's just a, he's just grinding. And, and in fact, most people, uh, I don't think, would even recognize it as grinding or sliding. I think that they would call it something homemade, like riding the rail, <laughs> which is which is a term that I think they use for uh, for for people who hop trains illegally. Um, and and you know you you don't you don't need to know that there are you know ninety two canonical tricks. And there's half cab, and there's switch dance, and there's a hundred other things that you can do to, and there's negative, and there's illusion, and there's a hundred other things. You don't need to know anything about anything to watch a guy do a backside and think that's cool, man. You know, it's it, it's 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 low cognitive load. You don't have to know a lot to be able to think that it's cool. Uh, the other things are that that he's that he's uh, you know doing uh, you know a number of gaps, and he does a, a well, it is like a, a set slide down a staircase yeah um and you know you, you don't need to understand what that is to think wow that, that looks hard that looks cool or, or or not even that that looks cool that looks difficult and that guy must be talented because uh he, he's able to do it so so i think another another thing that that might motivate that that edit's success is the uh, the low cognitive load of what he's doing and then as as a really, I, I don't know how much to attribute to 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 the editing, but um, 
it's partly standard in, in rollerblading, in the rollerblading community, but I think it's also, if we assume that it was designed to go viral, which I don't know that we can assume, um, but if, if we did, uh, the regular thing that we're accustomed to is showing a trick, and then if you have a, a skater who can, who can do it both ways, you put the tricks back to back. And so he did the true fish, and then he did switch true fish. And so if you were slightly more attentive, you might notice that he did it one way, and they did the same thing with the other foot spinning the other way, you know? So that still, even, even if you don't know what true spin fish is, uh, you, could, you could maybe uh, observe that he did it both ways without having to know anything about rollerblading. So that, that would just be, to me, more evidence that it's a low cognitive load uh, section, generally. Yeah. Um, there's the two more that are just straightforward. I think that one, one more is that he's generally going very fast, which is also low, low cognitive load. Um, and it's also apparent that he's having fun. I think a lot of people want to draw attention to him having fun. Um, that he's smiling. He's interacting with people on the street. Uh, there's, you know, the woman from the 10th floor waving at him, you know, or whatever. Uh, but, but, that actually leads me to to my uh, to my last point that I had written down here, um, which is building on the idea of, of of it being clear that he's having fun, and this I guess is when I'll hand hand the question back to you. Uh, there's a lot of talk, um, both you and uh, Todd and lots of other chatter on Facebook and and in message boards and other places about this idea of people taking or not taking themselves too seriously. So either taking themselves too seriously or not taking themselves too seriously. And that I would identify uh, as, as what we would call in, in debate a glittering generality. <laughs> it's, a, it's a phrase that everybody uses and sounds great, but no one can point specifically to what it means. And it's likely the threshold of what's serious enough but not too serious is likely different for everyone um you know terms like freedom and liberty and you know always do what's right you know and other kind of idioms like that uh i i really think that 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 taking he people say it's clear that richie eisler is not taking himself too seriously and i kind of want to set myself on fire when i hear that because it doesn't mean anything because it means something different to everyone, and therefore, what could it possibly mean? It, it, it's like saying, you know, it's like running for political office and saying, I, I'm, I want to be your congressman because I believe in fucking freedom. You know? Like, yeah. well, of course. But what do you mean by freedom? And, and that's probably different from what I think is freedom. Do you want legal heroin? Do you want, you know, higher taxes, lower taxes, gun rights, no gun rights? What are we, what, what do you mean by freedom? And when people people say that way too much, and that's just kind of a, a trigger or, or almost like a nervous tick for me, where a lot of people have been pointing at the Richie Eisler edit saying that it's, it's clear that he's not taking himself too seriously. And that just, it grates against every sensibility I have. Well, so Frank, go, I'll, I'll just let, I, I don't suppose there was actually a question in there, but I, I suppose there's enough for you to just respond to. So. <laughs> I'll yield the conch. Uh, don't light yourself on fire, first of all. Um, you know. 
Second of all, those were all really good points. <laughs> um, third of all, uh, <laughs> uh, oh, first point, uh, the beard thing. Yeah. Um, I remember in like 2007 or 2006, there was the heat video uh-huh. that came out. Um, yeah. And it was the first rollerblading video where I think, I'd have to pull up the cover, but Todd and I were talking about how it's the first time there was like a picture of a rollerblading DVD cover where like there were people with beards. Yeah. And that was a big thing. Yeah. Um, the beard thing is a really good point. Just from the perspective of rollerblading is not that old. This is kind of the first, I mean, Latimer had a beard, but um, it was more of like a scary beard if that would have yeah. gone viral. It was yep. a grand. It was a grandmaster beard. Yeah, it's borderline neck beard, man. <laughs> borderline. Yeah, someone said that actually about the Richie edit. Um, neck beards need to go away. I, I didn't. I didn't see his beard as a neck beard. No, no. I think he's. He's. I mean, there's, there's, there's probably uh, you know men in rollerblading with with more robust beards, let's say. But I, I think you know to to. Yeah, I mean, you know, Jan Welch lives here in Austin, and that fool, have you seen that guy? He's got a gnarly beard. He could be a Viking. It's, uh, is it sm- smaller than it used to be? Oh, no, it's always pretty big. Jan's beard, it's like down to the middle of his chest, dude. He looks like ZZ Top. <laughs> awesome. And that, it's but red. See, it's that, like red as the sunset. That beard, that, would that beard go viral, though, in a Richie Eisler video? Would, would, do you need to have a friendlier beard? Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, no, I, I mean, Jan himself is kind of already viral in the sense that, you know, he, like, because Jan is part of rollerblading, uh, you know, the, the Kevin Bacon thing about six degrees of separation, because Jan exists in rollerblading, the whole of rollerblading probably couldn't be more than two or maybe three degrees of separation from just Jan. Absolutely. I mean, I, I, would... I, I went to a bar one time in, like, Berlin and 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 for whatever reason met somebody who knew Jan in a fucking bar in like East Berlin i i would like l- you could go in, if you go anywhere he'll know someone there it doesn't matter what country you go to or what state or anything go somewhere and Jan will know someone it's That's, insane he's one of those guys that behind the scenes has done a shit load for rollerblading like as someone like myself who was a big fan of Scum magazine, uh-huh. um, growing up, and he may have would he have posted on? Se- Did you post on Sequence? Uh, yeah. Um, Jan would have been on there probably too. Oh yeah, way for back sure. when. And uh, and uh, I ordered all of his videos. I remember. I think he would have done them like direct. You had to order from him. Yeah. Like uh, Urban Decay. Oh, there um, was two or three videos before that, man. Last Call. Uh-huh. Urban Decay was the first one I got. Uh, okay. And then Last Call um, uh-huh. was the Europe tour. And, yep. then, and then he probably would have moved to California after that one. Oh, Before he would have done the video. Daily Bread videos, too, after that. Yeah, he did, yeah. Before that, though, when it was just Jan, his, the before that was a video he did called Scratched, which is available on YouTube or uh, Vimeo, one or the other. I think YouTube. Um I actually have a section in that video, believe it or not. 
Is that the one that that I saw? That to... no, that was uh, a video by Jay, and that was that was a video called Texas Outlaws Three Two. That's the guy who's filming you right now. Did yeah, that. yeah, awesome. I've known, I've, I've known Jay since what nineteen ninety five or six. Six or seven. Six or seven, yeah. Awesome. At Scratched, I remember he would have posted uh, anim- animations from that video. on. So I would have seen... I'll remember some of the tricks, but I never... Because you could mail order that one, but I didn't get that one. Um, oh, yeah, okay. So there was, there was Scratched. Before that was a video he did that was called America's Army. Uh, that was way, way back in the day, like 95, 96... At the at the most, although I don't know if it came out until like '97, and Scratched was already underway at that point. But even before that was his first video that was called No Budget Lo-Fi, and that's really digging deep into the annals of of Austin rollerblading because that was that was way back. That was like '93, '94. Is that one online? I don't know that it even exists anymore. If somebody out there in the wide world has a copy of that, put it online. Oh, I love. I love that. Wherever you're from, I will send you a beer. <laughs> I can't imagine though that that there's continuity between your listeners now and that video because yeah. it was that was that was literally 20 years ago. Oh, but that, it's important to put those calls out just for the sake of after we're dead and if the internet's still around, just the lo- uh, archival yeah. material that's important. Yeah. Uh, so, or if anybody knows anybody with a giant, vast collection of obscure VHS rollerblade videos, ask them if they've got it. We could start like a, a a campaign to see if anybody's got it out there. I have a lot of shit and know a lot of shit, but that those ones interest me probably more than the kind of period uh, scratched and after that. Because there's some Canadian ones that I still haven't seen that I've heard about. Um mm-hmm. There's one called Play School, and then there's one called Pancake Breakfast. That's like, Pancake Breakfast is apparently even before I kind of got into skating, and it was the first Canadian rollerblading video. I've heard about it, but I haven't seen it. And But it exists out there somewhere. Yeah, same thing, though. Like, a really limited run of VHS, which yeah. is so cool that, um, you know what? I hope that stuff eventually surfaces online because it goes to show that even though rollerblading hasn't been around for a long time, we do have some history. Sure. Not a lot, but some. Um, I mean, uh, you know, they're, they're saying they're saying now that in, in terms of, and, and I'm sure that there's a lot of people who could speak to this better than me, but um, in terms of data... Uh, the internet doubles. How long do you think it takes the amount of data on the internet to double? Do you know this fact off the top of your head? Me? Yeah. Uh, no, I would think a second. It's 12 hours. 12 hours. Oh, so that's going to get more and more. I remember uh, in that Mindscape of Alan Moore, uh, he talks about that. Yeah. Um, and when you use the term singularity, do you follow any of the technological singularity stuff? You're not talking I've, about it. I've, yeah, I've, I've read a couple of books about it, and I don't know. I think I don't know. I don't even know what to. I don't know what to say or think about that. Okay. Uh, in the in the in the previous in the previous uh, part, though, I was just talking about a, a not the singularity in in, uh, in capitalized letters, but just just a a single 
singular focal point. Yeah, yeah, was, okay. was what I was after. But I, I am aware of that other usage. Okay, um, like Skynet kind of shit. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Uh, the what was the second point after beards? It was oh, um, that he's Canadian. Yeah, that's uh, I didn't even think of that because even the headlines for some of those blog posts and stuff, it was like, you know, extreme rollerblader in Canada. Yeah. Yeah. But I think, I think that, um, see, this is, this is one of those weird things where people can come at it from different directions and still get to the same conclusion. You don't have to know that Richie Eisler is Canadian, um, ahead of time. You know, rollerbladers know that he's Richie Eisler and he's Canadian and so it makes sense that he's filming a Vancouver edit as opposed to one in Thailand or South America or some other place. Um, but people who don't know who he is because he's in Canada will presume that he's Canadian, which winds up being correct. And yeah, for some reason, it just works really well for the clicky world that we live in. Yeah. He's more clickable when he's Canadian. I think so, too. I think that that I, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't. You know, just just to reiterate what I was saying before, I think it's always a fallacy to think that there's ever a singular reason why something happened. Uh, again, using singular in the regular parlance, um, but I, I think that each one of these things I think plays a role, um, and and that's one of the things about about you know the internet and things going viral is that there is never going to be one reason. People click on a video for a lot of different reasons. They click on it because they're bored. They click on it because they are into rollerblading. They click on it because they're friends with Richie Eisler. They click on it because it's better than the porn they had up and somebody just walked in the room. You know, the boss just walked in and said, oh, let's play this rollerblading thing as opposed to the, the gross, nasty things that I had on before. There's a zillion reasons why. It could also be for the beard. It could also be because he's Canadian. It could also be because it looks like he's having fun. It could also be because it looks like he's not taking himself too seriously. Hey, you just, you, what, expand on that. What? If you were to say, if you were to want to say someone's not taking themselves too seriously and you, you wouldn't say it, what, what is a better term in your mind than what's a better use of words than not to like in in richie's case in in the edit if you had to use more language to describe the not taking yourself seriously well okay this this is this is a kind of a classic academic dodge um the 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 problem isn't the term the problem is the mindset that leads you to the term so it's not that we need a better term to cover the idea of how serious is serious enough it's that it's a fundamentally flawed notion that we need to care about the affect as the main thing the affect of the skater should not be the main thing i think that as i was saying before we need diversity in every way we can get it and norming the community to a to a set idea of what is just serious enough but not too serious is totally wrong we need to have we i think it's expecting too much of someone to have them be able to play every possible role we could want them to not go too not go too far but not do too little 
I think that we get we get diversity um, in aggregate, meaning that we need some guys who take themselves super fucking seriously. We need other guys who are just a total cut up. It's unrealistic to think that anybody can wear all those hats and do all those things. We need guys on power blades. We need guys on anti rocker. We need guys on rocker skates. We need guys just skating skate parks, just skating contests, never skating contests. You get diversity from an aggregate population. And I think that the problem, the real problem, is the, the mindset that leads you that there, to, to the idea that there's this normed uh, uh, mode of, of, of emotion or mode of affect uh, that, that's mandated by the community. We need people who are crazy whack jobs. We need people who are just as, as, as boring as a, as a bump on a log. We need everybody in there. And I think that the, the, the culture itself is middling all of us by forcing us to not be too serious and not be too wacky. How about, how about it was great because he brought his personal vision of skating to it? I mean, but that's the thing. It was it was it was great. I I would say why why was it great? It was great for for two dozen reasons. Yeah, good call, good call. And I'm, I'm looking at a book on my shelf right now uh, that I read when I was in graduate school. It's called American Cool, and uh, it sounds like a sexier book than it is. It's a really boring academic book, but what it's about is uh, it's about emotion, and it's specifically comparing the modern American affect to the Victorian American affect. And the idea that we have now of the Victorians is that they were really, really uptight, you know, broomstick up the ass kind of people. Um, and we in the modern age are so much freer than they were. Um, and and this, this author is arguing that um, that's actually totally wrong because... Uh, everything in the last half century has pointed us towards cool, this middling notion of not too hot, not too cold, but cool as being exquisitely middle. And it's a terrible idea, and we're probably more emotionally governed and self-governing now uh, than we ever have been in the past because you are required by society to be cool always. Not too crazy, not too anything, just cool, just middle, just 50th percentile. And that's <laughs> terrible. <laughs> and and I and I feel strongly that this this term taking yourself too seriously is doing exactly that. It's it's requiring a Goldilocks condition for everyone that you don't take yourself too seriously, you don't be too wacky, you have to be exactly in the middle. And I think that's a terrible idea. Do you think that also relates to not being religious and being re like a uh, are we talking about that's just as dangerous as being in the middle of uh religion too? Pretty much think, to relate think, back to our first. In 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 the same way, I mean, I'm I'm a very staunch atheist, and I don't expect that religion is going to go away in my lifetime or even in the next thousand years. Uh, and and I think it'd be unrealistic for the the religious people to think that atheists are going to go away anytime in the next thousand years. Um. And so, having said that, I think that I think that it's it's the same scenario again, where you get the average not by creating average people but by looking at the aggregate and getting a getting an average from all the different all the all the diversity because average is always an artificial thing 
it's not that there exists some human being who is exactly... There was a thing that came out, uh, I think it was Time Magazine or something, and it, meant it, it might not have been Time Magazine, it might have just been one of those viral internet things, but it said the average human being is Chinese, is five foot four, has black hair and brown eyes, and looks exactly like this, and there's a picture of the guy's face, and it was an average, because it turns out there's slightly more men in the world than women, I think, I could be wrong, but... I'm just remembering something from six or nine months ago that was online. Yeah. So go figure. But anyway, um, I would argue that that man does not exist. He is an invention of the statistics. And the same thing is true with not too serious or taking yourself seriously enough. There is no such thing. There's people who take themselves, you know, very, very seriously. I might include myself among them. Uh, and then there are people who don't take themselves seriously at all. Uh, and, uh, just in Austin, we got a guy named Tim Logan in town who's just awesome. He's a total cut up. He skates, you know, he'll just like kick the fucking box and be like, Oh, what about it? And he has a lot of fun and it's fun to watch and it's fun to skate with him. Uh, but you know, he doesn't go home after that and write linguistics essays. He goes home and drinks beer and the average between he and I doesn't exist. There's not a dude in Austin that's halfway between me and Tim. Uh, that's that's a sort of statistical fabrication. That, uh, so, similarly, similarly, I think that I, I just I think that you don't you don't get you don't have an actual average person. There is no fiftieth percentile person. That's 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 a made up thing. What you do have is all these different points of difference. That in 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 aggregate, as I keep saying, in aggregate, uh, can can provide the opportunity to invent a a middle point. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Uh, in a simplified version, I remember uh, reading a Seth Godin marketing book called "We Are All Weird." And he was talking about how there used to be just from um, the idea of early adopters of something um, and people who are late adopters, and there's a curve in the middle that that it's just falling into one giant wide spectrum of, of crazy um, uh-huh. lots and lots of mini micro tribes for the weirdest things you could ever think of that. It's just breaking off into solo everything instead of the idea of big giant things that could have statistics um, and the internet's helping move that forward. Re- yeah. That's going to happen to religion too. I mean, there's going to be so many micro cults and religions that happen through unfortunately you know things like podcasts and blogs and website i think we're all eventually going to get over ourselves but um we're so early on in in the the time of the internet we do we have no internet elders frank we have no elders to like guide us through on on how to do this stuff but um with this long thing that I'm saying, I think podcasting is probably one of the greatest forms of entertainment and co- conversation available because people can listen to this shit while they're working uh-huh. and and stuff. So it, it leads to uh, important conversations. About- I agree. I agree. It, I think it, I think that y'all are y'all are playing a good role right now. It helps break uh, my point. Yeah, it helps break down. 
I know exactly what you're trying to say about the the being angry about the not taking yourself seriously. And I think I said that a lot on the last podcast. Um, but just to be clear, I didn't come banging a drum about that because of because of you. No, I I, I told I get it. Everywhere, it's like a swarm of bees right now. Yeah, and, and it has been for the last couple of years. So, does that that relates to the idea of cool, right? Is kind of what you're. Well, I'm, I guess I'm relating both of them to this this uh, this notion of middling, and and I think that middling is is just it's it's getting it's getting people to be the middle rather than to do what I think is probably part of the real external reality, which is that the middle doesn't exist; it's a fabrication, um, unless you fabricate the people, unless you make the people, unless you culturally mandate that people be that way, and that's what the uh, the author of this book. Uh, is arguing about about emotion is that we are more emotionally self-governing now than we ever have been in the past because culturally we require of each other this this middle course of cool um, that's you know not too intense you know not too boring just cool um, and that that middling uh, is dangerous because it shouldn't exist and it exists only because we're m- making people be that way. Do you think the idea of uh, mass doesn't is doesn't really exist anymore? Uh, clarify that for me, will you? Like mass production. Oh, of a of something like uh, you know, the masses are going to consume this. Do you think that that's kind of fading away based on what you're talking about? A little bit, like the idea uh, of. I don't. I don't. I don't know that the the masses are different now than they've ever been. I, I think that they're probably the same, or or we're still in such an infancy stage of 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 the internet where it's it's unclear at this point. Um, so I would I would actually hesitate to answer that, because, um, it's always a minority, and I think that those of us who get accustomed to having computers and iPhones and. Uh, laptops and everything else uh, forget that most of the people in the world don't do this yeah that's true so you know the, if, if you're talking about the masses you're talking about well which masses I mean there's the masses of people who don't have computers there's the masses of people who do and they're very different masses so uh, maybe from like a uh, North American marketing perspective mass like even with rollerblading it just seems like the days of uh like razors as a company to me seems like kind of that whole thing seems kind of over like average fairly average products created for fairly average people with average taste uh created in in mass for mass consumption doesn't it seem like it's going away from that a little bit? I don't know. I guess it's a too big of a concept. And I don't even know how the fuck I got here. How um, did I get to this point? We, we were talking about... This This ultimately came from uh, Middling and, and, and Richie Eisler, people applauding him for, lauding him for not taking himself too seriously in that edit. And that possibly being a reason why, or playing a contributing role in why... Uh, that video went viral the way that it did. Oh, okay. So, 
I remember I, I referenced two people specifically, uh, Bill Murray and do you know Mark Gonzalez, the skateboarder? Yeah. Um, there, I I get stuck thinking of that. They 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 don't take themselves uh, too serious, <laughs> but they're serious about not taking themselves serious. And I remember ta- saying that on the last podcast, but um, that that idea of like uh, someone who's reached a, a pinnacle of creativity and realizing themselves that whatever they do is kind of interesting. Um, does Bill Murray or, or Mark Gonzalez, do those people, what they do, um, do you connect with that? Oh, fuck. How do I even ask this question? Do you know what I'm trying to say that how I try and articulate that, that they kind of float above what they do. I think that's what well, people I, were. I think, I think, I think what you're getting at is whether or not they're relatable. Um, and, and I, I don't take myself to be such a one dimensional person that I need Bill Murray to be just like me so that I can relate to him. I think that that's one of the problems with, uh, for instance, American politics. Um, you know, people always ask that of presidential candidates, like, you know, is he seem like the kind of guy you could sit down with and drink a beer? And, you know, certain people like that as a metric. And there's, I love beer. I'll sit here and tell you, I love beer. And I would like to drink a beer with any president, alive or dead. I would drink a, a beer with the dead bones of, a, of an old president. Um, but that, that need not be the only standard. I can like a person for reasons other than them being like me. Uh, or, or relating to me on my own terms. A lot of times I like people because they're nothing like me. I would cite my wife. She and I are like as opposite as, as, as we can be. Uh, and and I, I like her quite a bit. You almost... It's, that comes back to the Mr. Rogers thing. Yeah, I mean, I think I think what you're getting at is that you... There, there's, there's, there's qualities of, of Mark Gonzalez... Um, and there are qualities to to Bill Murray uh, that that you like and you admire, and that's great. And if you want to list off what those are, then you should list them out. And there should probably be uh, quite a few of them. I don't dare want to specify how many there should be, um, but if you like a person, you should spend the extra time to f- figure out why do you like them. Is it because of this? Is it because of that? Uh, but using such a vague uh, descriptor like doesn't take himself too seriously I think does a disservice to your own understanding uh, of yourself and of this person you're admiring and you know, that- take just you know take the extra five minutes smoke a cigarette and think about what's the real reason because not taking yourself too seriously is too vague a reason I just reject that as a reason <laughs> We've probably said that so and, many times on the and, podcast. And, and be specific, you know, you could say, you know, I dated this girl when I was in high school, and I liked her because she smiled a lot, and it was nice, you know. Well, and it actually points to something that you could say, okay, I've seen her smile a lot too. I can see why you would like that. Or you could say, I like Bill Murray because he tells offbeat jokes, and I think they're funny. And you have something to actually point to when you just rely on these on these things like, you know cool and freedom and do what's right it's so vague 
that it's it's basically it's a disservice to everyone. And I would I would I would add, um, going back I don't know maybe an hour and a half in this podcast to something that you were saying earlier about rollerblading being a religion, and you mentioned three things. You said it had um, there was a, a discipline aspect to it, that there was a ritual aspect to it, and that those things contribute somehow to some betterment for you. Do you, do you recall saying something along those lines? Yeah, of course. Okay. So what I would argue is that uh, the discipline that you have to rollerblade often and routinely and the rituals that you go through, I don't know if you put one skate on first or not, but some people do. Um, but those things to you uh, enrich your life. And I think that it's important to notice the way that when our thoughts get sloppy – and when our language gets sloppy, uh, we we it is a kind of a discipline, and and they and they do occur habitually and, and even ritually, so that we're 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 doing ourselves a disservice. So that not taking the time to understand why you like Richie Eisler's edit and understand why you like rollerblading, uh, if if you're not taking the time, those those that discipline and that routine. And those rituals aren't going to contribute towards your betterment. They're going to contribute towards your middling. To where, like in, in, in uh, Orwell's great book, 1984, you do away with all of the, the, the you know, rich and elaborate vocabulary for, you know, detest, detestable and horrid and uh, pernicious. And you replace them all with the single word bad. So that there is no richness in language anymore. There is no richness in thought. And if you feel conflicted about something, your vocabulary is, is reduced to the word bad for those situations. And, and that's when a society becomes vulnerable to, to dictatorship. And, and, I, and, I, and I see such a close parallel to the tendencies of, of, of rollerbladers to think, you know, don't take yourself too seriously. Be cool. Be in the middle. Don't stick out. And and we get closer and closer to the center. And it's that way in our skating. It's that way in our language. And and all of these things are are all connected to me because they're all they're all pointing to the same sort of Western uh, cultural mythos. This this monotheistic mythos that there need there there needs to be a singular pairing of problem and solution. You, you'd be good on a solo podcast. <laughs> I don't think I would. <laughs> like, uh, um, in my, in my defense, um, doing a solo podcast and putting, there's a reason where, why a lot of people don't do podcasts is because you, you're fucking vulnerable. Yeah. And, as a incredibly visual thinker and someone who's not very good at speaking mm-hmm. quite a lot of the time who can't articulate things. Um, I think for a solo podcast where I talk for an hour, just about half sentences, half sentences, half sentences, maybe a point there might be something there that someone can grab onto. I'm not great with language and a lot of people aren't. So Oh no, you're way better at it than you think. Really? You're way better at the way way better at it than you think. 
Um, so sometimes I just fill up space with with words, and and of course I'll find because I'll see a visual in my head, mm-hmm. and I I'll, of course I'll say th- I say I say cool I say all the worst ones that <laughs> you must you must grit your teeth sometimes listening to the podcast. I say cool and awesome and not take yourself seriously, and then every once in a while I'll surprise myself by by figuring out something and being able to articulate it very well. Sometimes I have to catch myself and try and explain it a few times until I get it as well. Um, sometimes, no, I mean, I, let me, let me, let me, let me, let me be clear though. I'm not coming down the mountain at people saying no, no verbal crutches. You can't say dude. You can't say, uh, you know, which, which it turns out, uh, might, might actually be one of the first linguistic universals we've, we've discovered. Um, which I could talk about at some other point. Um, the holy grail in linguistics is to find things that are true of all languages. And the word uh and the word huh, as if a question, um, appear to be uh, total, totally universal across all languages. Um, anyway, I'm not trying to come down the mountain and say you can't say cool and you can't say awesome and you can't say dude and fool and anything else. I mean, uh, we, we, we've, we, in, in, here in Austin... We have we have jokingly started saying the word "dag" instead of "dog," and it's gotten so out of control that you can't have a conversation without encountering the word like fifty times a minute. I, so hey, and I, I knew why I'm "dag" did down the mountain and try to tell anybody how to talk, but I do think that we have to be careful about the terms that we use over and over and over. And if we're using that to stake a claim about what's good and what's bad and what belongs and what doesn't belong. We need to be really careful to understand, are we really making a comment? And if we are, do we understand what we're saying? And it's for those moments of clarity that we need clear thought and clear language. And the rest of the time, you can say, uh, dude, cool, all day long. And I will drink beer with you, and we can just say that back and forth to each other, and I'll be perfectly happy. Do you think that the like kind of comment culture online isn't helping that at all? That just... People quickly typing something without thinking about it. They're looking at something at work. I do that all the time when I post stuff. Just come up with something quick. I try and I try and come up with something that might spark conversation uh-huh. instead of just posting something. But do you think some of that that limited language and thought is because of uh, Twitter and and status updates and um, that idea of this one's so crazy. The, that idea of having an opinion, thinking of your opinion of something before even having the experience of it so like while you're watching something people you're thinking about what you want to type about it instead of experiencing it yeah um well just just real quick i would point out that that is an experience of it that's a good point but do you think that you're kind of taking because it's because people type their opinion way more than before it's not like uh, after watching a, a movie or something, you everyone would have been stoked to write into the newspaper a review or something. That that the fact that everyone has their own little voice now, um, they experiencing things in different ways than they would have before. Well, it, uh, so there's a word for that in rhetoric, and and the word is exigency. Uh, and an exigency is is a is a is a reason to engage in discourse. Um, and, and I think that the forum itself kind of supplies its own exigency 
and and what that means is that it's it, it's it's like it's like this. If we were actually if we were actually um, doing this podcast, or, or better yet, if you if you if you watch the evening news and you have you know one of these one of these you know kids whose job it is to go out and get a comment from some somebody on the street, you know, they'll have the microphone and the cameraman is over there and they'll be talking into the microphone and they'll say. Um, you know, such and such uh, has been going on this weekend, and it's causing all kinds of traffic problems in the city. And uh, what do you think? And then they hold the microphone to the person's face. Yeah. And that's their cue to talk, right? Yeah. And so I think that those text boxes in, in online serve as their own exigency, and they and they act like that same gesture where you feel as though you're you're having a microphone put in your in your in front of your mouth. And and you've give, been given the cue to talk, and it's the text box itself that serves as that exigency, whereas um, it's it's not it's 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 artificial in a way that is different from a normal conversation, uh, or or I should say like a a, a verbal convers a dialogue I guess I would want to say. So even you and I are separated by thousands of miles, and we're doing this online. Um, we're getting cues from each other and little minute interruptions and, and sort of sounds and, and other kind of nonverbal cues and, and quasi-verbal cues uh, that we're using to, to decide when we're going to talk and when we're going to wait and listen. Um, but but the, the, the difference is that um, it, it's, it's, a different, it's a different exigency that... that if I said something, I, th I think a second ago when, when you said, wait, wait, let me, let me, in my defense, let me say such and such, that I had said something and it, it, it was, it was, it was the kind of thing that you felt, no, this is, this is the kind of thing that I have to respond to. I have to respond to this. That is the experience of an exigency when you say, no, this is something I've got to respond to. And I don't think that the online stuff is quite like that. Uh, I think that the online stuff is more akin to the news person putting the microphone in front of your mouth and saying, here, say something, you know, kind of, you know, Hey, look, I, like, you know, you know, the worst is like when you're, when your mom or whoever gets a video camera and they say, and they turn on the camera and they say, okay, now do something funny. <laughs> I you hate know? that. That's, that's, that's what, that's what the text box is asking you to do. It's saying, write something interesting. Oh, so are we hardwired to think that, uh, we're interesting? And we 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 love the text box. No, I think that that's no. I I, I definitely don't think that we're hardwired for that. Um, I I think that culturally we perceive that we've been given a cue. I think that that's I think that that's one way of looking at it. That that we're it's we we feel like we've been asked. And and what's interesting is that the the um the Facebook the Facebook status update thing. Um, changed a couple of years ago. So if you go, if you go to your Facebook homepage, and there's that there's that you know text box at the top. Um, uh, it, it, now it says what's on your mind, right? And the yeah. queue used to be different. Uh, the queue used to say, um, it was your name and then colon, and then it said feels. <laughs> so mine if i did a, an update it would say you know frank stoner feels 
sad or feels pensive or feels like taking a shit or whatever. Yeah. yeah. You know, you're controlling uh, what, what can be said. And, and more importantly, changing that status, especially on Facebook, the status thing asks you what's on your mind. And the thing, if you want to talk about things being hardwired, your, your brain reads that sentence every time you click on it, even though you don't recognize that you've encountered that text. Most people will, will hear what I'm saying right now and think to themselves, it does have text in there before I click on it, doesn't it? And then I'm, I'm here to tell you, I'm looking at it right now, it says, what's on your mind? And you see that all the time, and you don't think about it, but it's in your head. And that is part of what is going into cue uh, uh, your, your, your status or your comment on the world or the comment on your condition. I really, I would love to see it go in the direction of uh, recordings and more personal things um, in the future. The, the apparently WeChat and uh, Snapchat are getting really popular with the kids because it's uh, is ephemeral the word uh, where it goes away. Uh huh. Um, that people's parents are going on Facebook and stuff, and now there's these things on your phone that the text or the picture is only there for five seconds or something, and it's more oh, lively, like, and like you it, you yeah. have to interact with it or else it's going to go away. Yeah, like Inspector Gadget. I kind of like that that it's swinging the other direction now. I mean, it's that's an interesting idea that it's changing in, in from a from I put this thing out. This is going to get attention for a certain amount of time. I like the idea that it's only there for a little bit because it makes you think less about uh -huh. what what you put out. I don't know. I think that's that's important from a from a teen perspective of like using technology. That's way better than status update, in my opinion. Just yeah. send a picture, send a, the text. It's done. Um, there was another point though about the the Richie thing. No, no, Richie. Th oh, oh. The cultural uh, references. Uh -huh. Did you find that interesting at all? Um, that Airborne, Jet Set Radio, Sonic Adventure 2, Brink, just hearing all of the the reference points of... Or, uh, Other people commenting and reacting to... Yeah, people who have never seen rollerblading or hadn't really thought of rollerblading. Uh -huh. Just the first things that... You know, the microphone is in their face, the comment box. The first uh, things that popped up, it was yeah. super interesting uh, just to see what, what came up because it's some stuff that I didn't even think of. Jet yeah. Set Radio specifically, if you were to do like a statistic thing, that was that was pretty high up in terms of yeah. thing the thing that was muttered the most. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't know. Do you have anything to say about if you read, I don't know if you read a lot of the comments, but I, I didn't, I didn't actually read a lot of them though. Um, um, I think that, um, uh, Chris, Chris Duke wrote a piece for one magazine about it, I think. And, uh, and then, um, um, Brian Kranz wrote an article about it. Uh, Chris and, Duke wrote about the Hero Cam one, I think. Oh, you're right. You're right. Yeah, uh, you're right. You're totally right about that. Yeah. Um, I I um I didn't read a lot of stuff from from sort of non rollerblader people. Uh, I think that the places that I saw it kind of in the wider world 
um, either weren't places that had comments available or enabled, um, or I just didn't look at them. Yeah. Uh, and, and also, I think that Brian Kranz covered some of those reactions. Um, and I think that you yourself might have actually been posting some of those things throughout the day. Yeah. Whatever day that was, that it was like, you know, surfing the, the FM airwaves or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I, d- I definitely followed it because uh, it being uh, winter here, um, work work is especially difficult when when you're not doing your hobbies on the outside so i i i was kind of obsessed with following it um and so uh, that's the only re- people sorry people if you were inundated with with the richie post over and over again and then uh second to that the the michelle the roller skater one i did i send that to you i sent that to you in a message though too right uh, you did saying that you wanted to talk about it. Yeah, um, I had a strange experience with it because uh, someone posted it on, I think Texas Blading, which is a Facebook group for the whole of Texas. Um, and there's a there's a rollerblader from Texas, from Dallas, whose name is Michael Stein. And when I looked at it, um, I actually clicked on it, thinking it was a Michael Stein edit because I I. Uh, I trans I I transliterated the the or transposed the the, the letters, so when it said Michelle Stylin or Stylin, um, I I literally read it as as Michael Stein. Uh, so I clicked on it and was really confused at what was going on, uh, when it was this girl putting in bearings, uh, and I'm like, where, when's Michael gonna like back torque some crazy ledge, uh, and it never came, and I was confused. I was genuinely confused. Um, uh, Michael Stein, I'm a big fan and, and people, Oh good. You already know who he is. Okay. Yeah. People send us, we've got some messages before, like you should check this guy out. He's your guys's style of skating or whatever. And there's been people even saying like, you guys should do a section with him. And, and as far as I know, he skates a little bit, but, uh, his, his peak output happened, uh, the black. Black Fabric video, or I can't remember. There's a section to a Unicorns song uh, that's amazing, and he skated in Rems too, cuffless. Newspeak. What video Newspeak. was that? The video is called Newspeak. The video is called Newspeak. And uh, according to Jay, Michael Langhausen made that video. It was made by Mike Langhausen. Is that the one where he does like a Royale to fakey roll on like parking curbs? That's. Uh, that might be the Black Fabric video. Oh, okay. That's summer vacation. Oh, split oh, th- that section's amazing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Can you hear Jay? Just a little bit, yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, that's from summer vacation, according to Jay. So he, I remember I picked like on on YouTube. You were able to have like a playlist, and I picked only five or six sections that I wanted. If someone stumbled across the channel to represent rollerblading and uh, that that Michael Stein. One was in there, along with Pat Lennon, uh, Ben Schwab, and Accidental Machines. Uh-huh. Latimer's second section in words. I can't remember the other one though. But anyways, so that's a yeah. That's how much I love Michael Stein. Okay, well you should come down because his his band is playing in Austin uh, tomorrow. No, Friday, Friday night. night. Oh shit. <laughs> He, he, he lives here now. We, we, we think. That, we, right? Yeah, we, we don't actually know, but we think that he's got a show with his band on Friday night. Is he very? Is he introverted? 
Like, is he quiet? Yeah, it kind of, it's sort of, it, it depends. I mean, oh, okay. with, with, with rollerblading, yes. Yeah. And he's, he's also like, he'll come out and like, you know, skate the box every couple of weeks or whatever. Um, but he's not uh, central to our crew. He's originally from Dallas anyway. And I think okay. that those guys are used to being siloed where they only skate like two or three dudes deep ever. Whereas yeah. the Austin scene, we've pretty well unified like a, like a bunch of Scottish clans and, and brought everybody together uh, in one giant hodgepodge of, of fools. It's kind of where where you guys are is kind of like the new uh, hub, or well, is that the right word? No, that's not the right word. You know what, how Arizona was hot for a while. Uh huh. Texas is like you guys are doing what everywhere else should be doing, and you don't have a shop, do you? Nope. No, actually, I was I was just talking to uh, to Jeff Akers not that long ago. And he actually commented that there's no shop in Texas that carries razor skates. That's that's wild. That that's just uh, you guys are very well organized and good at communication and good at meeting up often. Is that the secret? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think I think you 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 need you need to have. Um, it takes a lot of work, and you need to have people who are really pretty open-minded because um, you you really need to 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 want to bring everybody in, um, you know. And, and it doesn't have to always be that way. I mean, people go and skate street two or three guys deep all the time. Yeah. Um, but but I think what's worked well for us is is actually been um, a couple of things. I think having a couple of people who are kind of in between old school and new school. Or, or whatever kind of, you know, division like that that you would want to point to. Um, like, uh, like Cody Sanders is a good person because uh, he, he, he grew up with Andrew Broom and a lot of the younger guys, um, but he was old to them, but he's way younger than we are, so, you know, he's young to us. And we have a couple of people like, like Cody who kind of span the gap, um, and then, and then we also have a lot of, um, like organized, uh, like either, either park, uh, skate park sessions where everybody come one, come all is invited, uh, or the box session that we've been doing now for about 10 months every week. Monday night street, baby. And now there's a street session. So what's cool is that we use our Facebook group to actually just say when, when the whole main group is going out, um, and then, and then, you know, people want to get together and go skate some particular rail or whatever. They just go off on their own and do that. No, no questions asked. But it is nice to come together once or twice a week as the big group um, and, and be able to, to all skate together at the same skate park or at the same box session or whatever. And we've been good enough at it with, between the, the park sessions um, and, and, uh, and the box session and everything else. Uh, that you kind of get used to the weekly schedule. Uh, so if you've got something to do on a Monday night, you'll just go to the other one that's not on a Monday night. Um, people like Cody and Aunt Medina and uh, me and Jared and a couple of other people, Jay, um, there's there's a lot of people making it work, you know. So it, it kind of, you know, to, to, to take a, a cliche, it, it, really, it really takes a village, you know. Definitely. That... 
that makes me think about like my own experience of of skating how uh um do people skate solo or or like are there any weirdos who just skate by themselves in well i mean some some people some people do i mean i'll I'll go to the skate park whether or not i know anybody's going to be there and sometimes sometimes you just go um we're, we're, we're a little bit of an extroverted scene, I suppose, in that respect. But um, there, there, are, there are a number of guys who will just go. Uh, and it, and they, don't, they don't actually need other people to be there or not. Um, I would actually, I could, think of, I could think of three or four or five guys who would just go to the skate park because they want to right but then. I definitely derailed it again. Oh. I was busy not taking myself too seriously, you know. <laughs> What's that? Oh, nothing. I'm, no, we're we're live. Whatever. I don't even remember what the I don't remember what the hell I was talking about. Yeah, I, I would have derailed it too. Um, so the the Michelle the Michelle edit. Did oh, you watch yeah. it? I did. I did. Yeah, I did. Um, after after we got yeah we got sidetracked talking about Michael Stein because I thought that her name said Michael Stein. Yeah. No, I I sent her an email, um, because she she did something that was really interesting to me, uh. And and so I sent her an email to ask her about it, and to my surprise, she actually uh, she actually got back to me. Um, and and my question was was she left-handed? And she said no, she's not left-handed. And uh, the reason that I asked, uh, and this might this might take a little bit of explaining. Um, so she she spins to the right, so she spins clockwise. Yeah. Right. Um. And she skates fakie and looks over her right shoulder, uh, yep. which is normal, right? Because yep. that that makes sense. Um, and given both of those, that means that she's the kind of person who will lead with her left foot going forwards. Yeah. Okay. Um, and what was what was a little bit perplexing to me was that you would one one might predict that she would therefore be. Uh, a right foot dominant person, um, but she does. Do you know what shooting the duck is? Is that a term that you recognize? Yeah, I shoot the duck. I spin to my left, look over fakey with my right, shoot the duck with my right. So it's like a rolling mono roll, like rocket fish. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I don't know if that's a term that that, that everybody uses or not. No, that's the term. Yeah. So shoot the duck. So she does shoot the duck left foot. Weird. I didn't even catch that. And and I I, I thought that that was really really strange. Um, and it, and it doesn't actually fit with the rest of it because if you spin to the right and you look you know fakie over your right shoulder and you're not mixed up that way, uh, that means that you lead left foot uh, with your right foot and back because that's how you would skate backwards even on quads, right? Yeah. Um, and so I thought that that was really kind of strange. Uh, and so, so I asked her about it cause I would predict that, that doing it that way, she probably is left-handed. Um, I've actually got a long-term research project going about handedness in rollerblading. Um, because I've, I've been interested for a very long time in, in the, in, in handedness as a, as a mental operation, handedness as, as a, as it plays a role in language. Um, and also in, in skating itself, I'm, I'm one of the people who likes to do natural and switch 
or right foot and left foot, however, however you construe it, uh, to to make certain predictions about language and usage and even handedness uh, based on watching someone skate. And and so I'm still in the beginning stages of being able to say anything about that, but I'm still at the point of collecting data and asking people: Are you left or right-handed? Do you bat right or left-handed? Do you do one or the other differently? Um, so because she was so much of a of a um, an exception, I guess that that it's just it was so striking to me that she would shoot the duck left foot, even though she spins uh, clockwise and skates fakie over her right shoulder. Um, she was quick to point out in the email that she can do them both directions, um, but just just by watching the video, she didn't do it the other way in the in the video. Uh, so I'm 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 inclined to believe that that was her natural uh, directions for those things. Um, so that 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 to me was the most interesting thing about about Michelle's video. I really don't want to get on any bandwagon about her skating around in short shorts or whatever. That's no. It's for other people to talk about. Yeah. What did you think? Uh, I just thought it was it was refreshing from a perspective of. Uh... It seemed like the passion that she uh-huh. loved to skate really yeah. came through, um, uh-huh. and that something that could have been, uh, well, they kind of played with that idea of like cliched and uh-huh. and retro at the start. Um, it it captured that she really loved to skate. That's the only way that I can say you see action sport videos, quote unquote, for skiing and snowboarding and stuff. Yeah. And uh, you get kind of this idea that they're just girls sometimes try and just replicate. I mean, I don't want to sound politically incorrect, but you know how sometimes girls playing sports, it just doesn't look as cool as, uh, as I was going to use that word cool, as, uh, as powerful. Mm-hmm. It was powerful from a, it was a powerful female, regardless of what she was wearing. It was just like, that passion for skating. That's I keep going back to that. Yeah. That yeah. she you could tell she actually fucking loves to skate. Which yeah. sometimes that doesn't even come off in, in rollerblading videos. Yeah. So that's what I really connected with. And that's the feeling that I got the first time I watched it. And that's why I was stoked to share it initially, is it it got me excited to skate just to yeah. go ar- roll around outside. And the dude who filmed it, um, and the way it was put together really captured that feeling of, of yeah. really loving the feeling of rolling around. Uh-huh. So yeah. that's yeah. what it was for me. Okay. Yeah. Well, I, I, I had an idea about it that I want to share with you and then when, when with your audience. Um, other people may have had this idea before. Um, and I feel like I might have had the idea in the past and dismissed it. But after thinking about what I was saying before, um, about about you know one foot first and, and so on, um, it suddenly occurs to me that there could be such a thing as a forward illusion spin in rollerblading, <laughs> where if you go up a ramp, right? Like I I spin counterclockwise. And I lead with my right foot, even a little bit. And what that allows me to do is turn the first 90 degrees without my feet leaving the ramp. That's uh, what having the right foot in front does. Yeah. 
it's also why we have natural and switch fakie because you you you're turning your feet in line like that allows you to turn your hips you know basically 90 degrees which lets you see in either direction right so yeah. it occurs to me that it would be really fucking challenging to do a 540 going over a jump box if i led with my left foot instead of with my right foot and that's the kind of thing that an astute rollerblader could see in another rollerblader's skating the same way that you can tell an illusion spin from a fakey whatever spin. And that is the exact opposite from Richie's opening rail grind, which is what you say, uh, yeah, cognitive, load. High, cognitive high load. Cognitive load. That is a very high cognitive load. <laughs> very high. 540 like that and think to yourself, well, that one looked weird. <laughs> and you would have to have a whole lot of knowledge to know exactly why that's weird and to be able to understand it. Because I think that a lot of people miss uh, illusion spins, and having been a, uh, a judge in a, in a number of contests lately, I can tell you it's really easy uh, to miss an illusion spin. It's the kind of thing that's that's more given to uh, a video part or or a, a clip than it is to seeing in real life, unless you're standing around with your homies talking about it, yeah, or doing it in a game of skate or drawing attention to it. Uh, ahead of time, but it's easy to miss, and and um, as yep. absurd as it sounds, I'm just going to suggest to the to the wide world out there that uh, illusion forward spins could could be a thing. And I but, bet there there is one uh, by accident somewhere. If we were to go through the history of skate videos, we might be able to find one. I bet I bet somebody's been off balance and still chucked a 540 at some point. Yeah, uh, there was a part of, of of maybe VG8 or VG9 where Matt Lindenmuth was doing like 10 540s in a row on a vert ramp. Oh yeah, that's the intro of FOR. Oh, the, FOR, yeah. To the Dave Matthews song, and then he runs into the ramp or whatever. That was a great. That was rad. Uh, yeah. Why is he starts getting dizzy and off balance, and, and there might be a 540 in there where he chucks it with the wrong foot forward. Why is repetition so interesting? Why is repetition so interesting in in tricks? It should be explored more often in rollerblading. I, I love that repeating the same trick over and over and over again. Like uh, if you sold 12 rails going down 12 sets of stairs, I like yeah. that. It's yeah, in, I agree. It's interesting in music, I know that. So it's got to be interesting in skating for it I don't I don't I don't know the theoretical reasons of why it's interesting in music, but I know I've really enjoyed it in skating. Um anyway, do you think we've uh have we worn ourselves out here? Um yeah, sure. Uh because I want to do carbon skates, but I wanted I maybe we'll have to open that up uh, uh on a future podcast cuz I think there's a lot there. I think there is a lot there as well. Um, That's like I, two hours right there. Yeah, we yeah. could we could talk. I think at length about that, or you and you and whoever can talk about that. Yeah. Uh, who's next? Kevin Kevin Dowling, I think, is next. How how are you gonna edit all that footage? What are you What are you looking for in this sequel to Barely Dead? Have you been <laughs> oh, filming the whole well, time? Um, uh, it's just it's really just B roll. Oh, okay. Uh, we we haven't been filming this whole thing this whole time. Okay. It's it was it was just uh, basically a couple of a couple of shots of me sitting in my office here. Oh, okay. 
some there's a good quote. And and there's yeah, a, and, and there's a span that we filmed that was a quote that we use or we'll use maybe. Yeah, Jay said he might have got a quote and and, and that was sufficient. So <laughs> there was <laughs> there was an amazing there the you talking about the not taking yourself serious thing seriously oh. thing has a has changed the way I I think even about uh, posting shit now. Just like your articles do, you manage to do it every single time I talk to you. Well, that's 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 great. I'm I'm pleased with that. I'm, I, <laughs> I I remember when you responded when I wanted to talk about atheism and rollerblading. Uh, you said something like, "Well, if you can make me think about it, rather than you know, I I think what was implied is, well, don't just rant at me or something like that. You need to you know deliver the goods on make me think about something. And if you feel that way at all about uh, the atheism part of this conversation, then I'd be really happy about it. The other stuff is is kind of my bread and butter. Well, that I, mean, I think that's, I, that's the kind of thing that I teach in college. I mean, that's that's my job to point that kind of thing out. I think where the atheism thing really clicked was just how how important it is to just with the Richie Eisler edit for me that you had just a series of points that you can't you can't just make a sweeping generalization. Here are uh-huh. here are the points why this is good, yeah, and that's it. Yeah, I don't know. I related that to the starting of the conversation, and that helped a lot, especially uh, the way I the way. I, although I'm gonna always do three half sentences and then maybe make a point or ride a side train. But yeah, you definitely made me think again in different ways, just like the grind box one too. Shit. Um, and I was gonna ask you when. When people talk to you like your students or whatever, are you so good with language and breaking shit down that they're like afraid to approach you sometimes? Or or you can tell when they're talking to you they're wanting to say the right thing? Not the right thing, quote unquote, but No, I know what you mean. No, yeah. um no, I, I um I I um I, I think I, I I try pretty hard to come across as being really approachable and non judgy. Um, and I also I also believe very deeply that there's not a right uh, there's English English is a great example because there's no there's no um, official version of the language other languages have an official version uh, and and it's it's still just an exercise of power it's not actually true um, you know when people say don't end a sentence with a preposition that's just stupid that's like saying you have to grab your backslides. If we communicate, we're communicating, and and that's the bottom line. These rules of grammar and these notions of saying the right thing or speaking properly is just a fucking load of shit. And and if anybody ever wants to, you know, gripe at you or whatever, or anybody listening to this, send me an email, and I'm 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 a I'm a professional linguist, and I will get on the email on your behalf and chew out some prescriptive prescriptivist grammarians, you know, <laughs> who need to be you know slapped in the face because. <laughs> All that stuff serves to do is make people feel bad about themselves, and it's only ever uh, a means of exerting power over someone else, and that's all it ever is. Now, you want to be careful that you know there's 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 needless sloppiness, which is which is a vice, um, and there's lies, outright lies, and then there's all the rest of the stuff about which we're not certain. So. You, you have to be careful about which things you're trying to defend. You know, it, it, it bugs me when people, you know, clearly don't know the difference between one thing and another thing. Um, 
or they're being mentally lazy, you know. But those are the kind of things that you you reserve judgment for uh, the written word or the published word. You know, generally speaking, if somebody sends me a text message with the wrong your, I really don't give a crap. It made sense, and so I don't care. Um, but you know, in print or or um, what you say, on comments, what you say, Doug? yeah, Jay Jay's notorious for using the wrong your. Um, <laughs> but like, it's it's just it's just it just serves to make someone feel better than, and make someone else feel lesser than. And there's way more important things uh, to language, um, specifically pointing to the actual physical structures in our brain that we can know and understand without relying on, you know, belittling people because of a comma error or, or something like that. The real issue has to be about using language to help you understand your own mind and your own interaction with the universe and the external reality, whether there's a God behind it or not. Um, and that has to be that has to be the point. The point can't be just making fun of people for their own sake. And so, I, I try hard to answer your question. I try hard to be approachable and to be disarming and to uh, say things that my students will not bristle at. You know, I call them dude. I call them man. Um, I, I refer to people as gal or lady. Um, you know. I just try really hard to be approachable and, and to, to, to try to uh, speak a language that, that people can, can relate to without sounding so hokey that, you know, like when, when, you're, when your grandma is trying to speak, you know, skate jive, she just sounds like a train wreck. <laughs> I love that term. Um, what, can you do me a favor, Frank? Yeah. Uh, if you catch the uh, – so now this has changed everything for me because I think I use not take yourself seriously or take yourself seriously quite a bit. Uh -huh. And now I'm going to challenge myself to not use them. But if you catch any other ones on future podcasts, uh, yeah. let me know in a message because I want to know uh, other instances of, okay. uh, of language like that because I, I get it. Again, okay. making me think. And lastly, um, just rounding it out, uh, just quickly, what were what articles we can be expecting possibly in second place? If you uh, if you want to talk about it, if not, you don't have to. Yeah. Uh, so so I'm 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 working on a piece for the digital edition that's going to be coming out before long, um, and that that'll cover some topics similar to to things that we've talked about here. Um, and in a way, this has kind of been a, a kind of a, a dry run at, at kind of uh, putting some of those ideas out there. Um, so, so, so some similar stuff to what's been said here. Um, I mean, I finally write the the hipster hipsterism article um, for second place, which I've been dying to to do for a long time because uh, there's a lot about hipsterism that we can we can. Uh, uh, learn about to inform what we know and think about rollerblading and it's not going to be what you think it's not at all what you think it's purely economic and it has nothing to do with uh tight pants or you know vintage shirts or suspenders or mustaches nothing like that it's all about it's 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 all about um larger larger forces uh acting on us um 
and I've been putting that off for like a year. So I'm going to have that one coming out pretty soon. And um, I don't know, a couple more in the works. I've, I've been kind of slacking lately, so I'll, I'll try to usually, – usually doing a podcast is good for at least, you know, three posts in a row because I feel kind of, uh, you know, jump-started enough to get some shit done here. So awesome. um, look, for, look, for, look for the hipsterism one coming up. Uh, and then, and then be sure to look, uh, be sure to check out the, uh, the digital edition of, uh, of one magazine here. And, um, I don't know when soon, I'll just say. Excellent. Well, again, Frank, thank you. And, uh, rollerblading's lucky to have you. I'm lucky to, to talk to you cause, uh, well, it's my pleasure, man. I'm, I'm, I'm always, I'm always glad to, to be on. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, you're uh, again. You're most requested. Uh, you and uh, woo, woo. you and Kevin Dowling. Oh, cool. Yeah. Both. Yeah, I like. I've, I met Kevin at Woodward in like 1997. Um, it might be too hard to eventually get like a four-way going or a three-way with two Skypes, but possibly in the future, if we had um, proper mediation, maybe we could get something like that going. So. Sure. Anyways, th- thank you again, and uh, I'm enlightened. Well, good. I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad it was. I'm glad it was good. <laughs> and uh, if I sound more scatterbrained than usual, it's because I haven't skated in in a while, and I need to get yeah, myself some skis. I, I heard you talking about that in the solo podcast. I'm sympathetic about the snow business up there. Yeah, but I'm getting skis, so that's that. Cool. Um, and have a good night. And thanks, Jay, for hanging out too. That's that. Um, yeah. Peace out. Okay, cool. Have a good (laughs) night, man. Yeah, you too. Bye. Okay, bye.